It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend himself, ladies and gentlemen, Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? Great to be here, Conrad. I haven't crossed my legs since we've been doing this show, right? Well, this is a first. It shows a certain feeling of comfort. Wow. But hopefully, if I get too comfortable and it's that we lose some of the edginess, uh, we don't really have a lot of edginess on the show, do we? Well, we've had burps on the show. We haven't yet had a fart. When we get to fart levels in our relationship, just like a real relationship, that's when you're comfortable. How long into the relationship were you and Mrs. Foley before you started farting in front of each other? She still hasn't farted in front of me. Really? One time. One that was an time. accident. Yeah. I said, what was that? And this is like 1990. She goes, that was a little fart, Mickey. And that was the only time I recall. Uh, Noelle will let one loose once in a while. Oh, I'm sure she's glad to hear that we're letting that loose. Once in a great while. I, I taught her as, uh, I think... Every parent should, uh, the secrets of the one cheek sneak. So, uh, as popularized by. Wait, wait, wait. Teach me, Obi Wan. What is. <laughs> Not on the air. There's a, what is a one cheek sneak? Where you just kind of, uh, look around and let it slip out of one cheek. Mm. Yeah. So you lift up a little. A little bit lift up. My favorite farting story was. <laughs> this is the, the best transition ever. <laughs> Carl. Carl Hutchinson, who's a, yeah. who's a uh, English comic, uh, opened for me for a few shows, and then he came back. When I came back a few years later, he opened again. And a lot of comics they don't tell the same stories ever again. But by request, I said you have to tell the story about farting on the students. And so he was a teacher, and uh, instead of uh, getting angry or yelling at the bad kids, he would just save up that little something extra when he was looking at a paper, and then he would. Look over and, oh, very good, with his posterior turned to the bad kid and. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let one loose. Yeah. We, we have no, we've never done fart humor. No. Uh, uh, generally, I don't find them that funny. Oh, I do. Uh, you do? All right. Okay. Oh, I We're going to have to agree to disagree. I don't uh, want you to actually do it in this uh, room with me. Now, if we're doing them on Zoom. I will, you know what? With that being said, I am going to break out a 30-second, maybe just a 30-second to one-minute video of a flatulent Santa visiting a child's home. I love that. On Christmas Eve. It was the only way I could get Huey back in the green suit. We were laughing one day. We were going from the uh, ECW show in Philadelphia. This was a monumental, I believe it was the Tower, I think it's Tower Theater. Um, but regardless, it was the night that uh, Sasha and uh, Ashley, uh, Ashley, yeah, 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 Charlotte Flair, Charlotte Flair, they main evented okay. and they tore the house down, and that was the first female main event at a WWE house show in a long, long time, and they really tore it down. It was this great atmosphere backstage. I'll tell you what, that's that's what I miss are those moments where everything goes so well that you know you're probably not going to get to sleep because you're reliving every single moment of yes. that match. And that was a time, I, I and I was so glad my children got to go back there yeah. uh, because I was meeting up with Huey, Noel, and Dewey. I'm the dad with the rhyming names. Um, and then I was taking Huey from there further down, and we ended up going to... Uh, 
a signing in Maryland, an independent show in West Virginia, and then we made the the long trip to Orlando to watch Becky and Sasha in that outstanding NXT main event. But while we were driving, we just started joking around. Huey had been my faithful elf. We'd been yes. doing it for two years. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if Santa had gas? You know, That'd like be hilarious. And he'd say, oh, what's that, sir? He'd say, oh, what? Santa would reply, I didn't hear anything. And then a little louder, you heard it that time? No, no, I didn't. I think you must be hearing things, little buddy. And finally, after the fourth or fifth time, Santa confessed, okay, I've been holding it in for the last 10,000 homes. I love it. And he says, we have to do it. It's fantastic. We have to do it. And then he wants the fart spray. But as we in wrestling know from being ribbed, especially when it comes to like Kurt Hennig putting fart spray under the ring where there are guys waiting to emerge. So now you have grown men, wrestlers, big men, proud men. Gagging and trying not to throw up underneath the ring before they make their, you know, uh, villainous return. So I know that stuff's gross. I argue it's no longer funny. It's gross. Yes. Perhaps a sugar cookie scent. (laughs) Yes. A gingerbread scent. And he held out like he was uh, in his option year. Like he was going to sit on the sidelines. And then the next year. So he held out. He didn't do it. 2015. But triumphant return in 2016, he showed up, and that's what will ensue. We will have the tale of the farting Santa. Should we wait till we're closer to Christmas for that, maybe? Yeah, yeah, let's do that in December. When when does this air, Conrad? Tomorrow. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) So, before we get into the swing of things, please vote. Yes. Uh, please vote. It's really important. There's a lot depending on it. People tend to know which way I um, tilt. Uh, and I, th- I think it's important. I think there's a lot on the line. But uh, if you feel strongly one way or the other, or just go out there. And, express yourself. Yeah, express yourself. That's, uh, I think it's no really important. What. Never more so than this year. And with that, no more politics. Let's get into the groove. I just like the idea that. And, I mean, you're such a Santa fan. You think his toots smell like sugar cookies. They should. It would be fantastic. They should. And when he did appear in all his flatulent glory, I might ask you to read, uh, because I wrote this up. I'd be uh, glad to. I wrote this up, and I was, uh, you know, I I was coming up with every, like, fun way of describing there's so many words that describe a fart anyway but i don't think sphincter symphony was on the table until i coined that phrase you know let me just ask i'm just thinking about this i kind of want to live vicariously because this has kind of been part of your life i mean how long have you been saying now how many years decades probably I started 10 years ago so this is my 11th year i mean i think with the right suit i mean i could I could make an, a, a Santa apprentice for you. You want to do that? I think we should do that. All right. I think in December, we need to get some suits, and we need to do some Santa stuff. Do it. I think it would be fun for the show. You want to go with a theatrical beard, or you want to bleach that bad boy for authenticity? Well, you put me on the spot, and my wife's not here to say no. <laughs> so I say I don't shave it, and we just let it grow. You know, on let the... It grow, uh, let it grow. <laughs> let it grow. <laughs> On the uh, documentary, the A&E documentary, I was uh, grown the beard out all year, 
Then I came out down with COVID the day before I was supposed to, or I heard that someone I was doing a, um, uh, not an internal signing. Uh, oh, virtual signing. Virtual signing. Internal would be painful. Internal. Be- <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get the pen, but then you got to get the hand. Uh, yeah, the the hand and you got yeah. All right, uh, it sounds like something some people might pay good money for, though. A yeah, little, little internal foley signing. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the the foley colon three colons of foley? <laughs> My gosh, what are we doing? We got to stop giving high spots ideas. But so anyway, anyway. I get tested. Uh, I, I don't want to put anyone in jeopardy, so I just get in the car and I drive to Florida. By the time I get there, I'm sick as a dog. You yeah. know, I stop just to pee and gas up, and um, sure enough, I had it. So the Santa you see me transform into on that show is actually a mid-March Santa, where we got a family to keep their tree up. And, wow. Wow. Uh, but it worked out nice in that my, my daughter, Noelle, did my bleaching. And Conrad, uh, that was probably my 10th year bleacher. My, yeah, last year, I went with a theatrical beard. Because I think facts are facts. I make a living trying to remind people of how they felt when they yes. were younger. Basically, yes. you know, that You're is... You're a nostalgia purveyor. And that's, in a sense, what we do here on the Absolutely. show. And that's why I agreed to do it. You're yes. like, we take people on a trip down memory lane. Yes. And I was like, you know what? I think I can do almost as good a job with a theatrical beard. And I did. Because I think I have other attributes that make up for that. You know, the heart of the Santa, you know, the love for it and a nice suit and all those things. Um, But I had been getting my beard bleached since 2012. And no doubt, Noelle did it in the most pain-free manner possible. And it came out looking great. So if you want to take that dive. Okay. All right. We can... uh, we can probably make that happen. Uh, I look forward to that. All right. And I'm looking forward to today. We're going to be talking about your return to the WWE. It happened in late 2011, and then you had a up-and-down year for the company in 2012. Indeed, I did. Uh, you left TNA on June 5th, 2011, and that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. Mm-hmm. But realistically, did you think you would ever return to WWE, or did you think your wrestling days were behind you? <sighs> I thought I would come back for one or two matches a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had uh, suffered from that uh, string of concussions in uh, TNA, and that's what led to me, you know, the, the hard feelings uh, there, that which led me to saying uh, to Terry Taylor, you know, they wanted me to take a little less money because I couldn't fulfill the final two matches that were on my contract. I argued that I did about 15 extra matches that weren't on the contract. But uh, anyway, the, it was what it was. And then I walked into, I had a meeting with Terry. I don't want to say I walked into his office because he was actually on the road. And I said, you know how you guys, you know, want me to take a little less? And he said, yeah. I said, why don't you take it all? And he looked at me and, and I just said, I lost faith in this company a long time ago. In retrospect, I should have shut my mouth, walked out to the mailbox every two weeks, collected the check, and been grateful to have it. But um, i uh, that's not what I did. And uh, That's not who you are. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I wish, uh, I still wish I'd done that. 
Um, it turned around that D. Snyder called me up and there was an opening for, uh, <laughs> for celebrity wife swap. I didn't make what I would have if I'd stuck it out, but it was a, it was a nice, uh, you know, like it was a nice finger in finger in the dike type thing. Yeah. yeah that, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? I know I'm what you talking mean. literally about a dike that holds back water and a finger. Yeah, okay. All right. Yep. Okay. So it's an old expression. Old expression. Yes. <laughs> but I knew where you were going. Get out and vote, boys and get girls. Out, out I don't know what to do here. Uh, so wait, wait, wait. I'm going to talk about our friends at Athletic Greens. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to streamline this. I'm going to bring it back on board. Okay. Um, one of the two things made my situation in TNA difficult, and that is when I was raising money for uh, Rain. Right. That's the, the I was a really a yeah really. A big advocate for them for a long time. And I worked on the hotline and I put in, I think, 600 to 700 hours over uh, the course of two years with with a fictitious name. I did have someone come to a signing in rural Indiana and she said, I know that you were, and there was a name, and she said, you saved my life. And she recounted the conversation that we'd had 10 years earlier. So I was really glad to do it. I was really, uh, I was all on board for trying to raise money because before the Me Too movement, nobody talked about That's right. sexual assault. Uh, there was no all-star. You know, it comes to, to Make-A-Wish and uh, uh, Special Olympics. It's easy to uh, um, compile. Raise awareness. Yeah, you money. get a, an all-star team of celebrities, but nobody was standing in line to, especially to work on the, the hotline. Right. And so I took this really seriously, and I reached out to a bunch of people, and Dixie Carter uh, had an incredibly generous offer, and then I told her, Dixie, I really appreciate that, but I feel like I have to tell you that uh, your offer was matched by someone else. She goes, well, that's good. And I said, it was Vince McMahon. (laughs) So the two biggest donations were from... TNA, my uh, my current company, and WWE, my former company, and that's on top of the fact that WWE brought up my um, Countdown to Lockdown book on their show, arguably pushed it harder than uh, than TNA did, and I did an interview with Joey Styles while I was actively working for a different company, and Joey gets on Joey gets on the phone, he goes, Mick, is this really happening? They told me I was going to interview someone. I said, who? They said, Mick Foley. And he goes, I don't think that happens. Like, we don't interview yeah. people while they're working for another company. And so I, I wrote about it um, in one of those books, probably the, the Santa memoir, and said uh, what seemed like a innocent lunch with an old, you know, love looked to be, you know, probably appeared to TNA to be like a sizzling affair with an old flame. And that put some... Um, it put some pressure on me there, uh, created some tension, but it also made it clear that there was going to be a spot for me yes. in WWE yes. when I left. And I did uh, procure that valuable ambassador's uh, slot, and uh, I was pretty happy. But the downside is I was really feeling the effects from the concussions. You know, I was really struggling with the uh, depression that comes along with that. Um, I think I even said on my A&E biography, they didn't, they didn't go to details, but they took the soundbite, is that I would wake up certain mornings and I'd just go, oh, 
this doesn't even have the chance of being a good day just because of the way I felt. And there's that fog that follows you. A lot of people have had the concussions. You feel like you're in a fog or you're underwater, but there's a muted feeling and you're walking around like without all, with your senses are greatly dulled by these rapid concussions because I was essentially getting one every time I got in the ring. Wow. Without, and I did kind of realize it because I remember there were times uh, like after Rick and I had had that really good match where I was like, okay, I can tell by like the adrenaline rush, but the ringing, there was this strange feeling where it's a combination of uh, euphoria, adrenaline in a way that you know from past history is going to manifest itself in a big downer within yes. a day or two's time. Uh, but I remember thinking, hey, I'm lucky to be getting, uh, you know, it's a good good salary and a tough economic time. What's the big deal? And then within three, four years, we learned so much about concussions. But instead of letting them recede, or the truth is, once I put the final period on a sentence in the countdown to lockdown book, and I know I'm going a little off and we're going to oh, get yeah, back, yeah. but this is all a precursor to joining WWE. Uh, I had the King of the Mountain match right. in uh, in TNA, and I was writing about it for Countdown to Lockdown. And on that one night, I got my bell rung three times. You know, saw stars, temporarily blacked out. And every other time something like that had happened during the course of my career, I could watch the match back and go, oh, oh that's, where that's where it happened. The last time we show, showcased when Booker's uh, super kick. Naked tail. Yeah, you could tell. Doom, and then, okay, that's why I felt that way the next couple of days. But in this case, I'd be like, okay, here come those forearms from Samoa Joe, which look like regular forearms. Here comes this kick, which doesn't look like it hurt. Here comes this thing. And I kept saying, maybe they're missing the camera angles. And then I actually thought, I actually wrote down, in truth, it was taking less and less to hurt me worse and worse mm -hmm. for longer and longer periods of time. And once I put the period on that sentence, I should have never wrestled again. It should have it should have made sense to me right there, but we all believe we have that one final match in us. One more, brother. One more. And so when I did show up to WWE, you know, I mean, I was greatly damaged. Um, I came over. I was offered the, uh, the ambassador's job. I think, Ty, before we get okay, there, I want ahead, to ask, ahead. you were doing, before you went back, you're doing some comedy tours, you're still working on some outside projects, you talked about doing the whole wife swap thing. Mm -hmm. Who reaches out to who about coming back? Does Vince call you? Does Johnny Ace call you? Do you recall? I think Johnny did. Okay. I What's that sound like? Hey, Meg, Johnny, Johnny, want to know, we'd like, you know, want to know what you'd like to do. Come back. He almost opened up a menu and said, just select items. Oh, wow. They you just know, wanted you back. Uh, back. To do whatever I wanted. Do you, do, do you want to um, host shows? Do you want to Do you want to work? Yeah, I mean, booking committee. Uh, not booking committee, but uh, producer. And I said, to, uh, hopefully he doesn't take us the wrong way, but I don't want to work that hands-on with Vince. And so I said... Uh, From your previous experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew I was going to be an ambassador as well. Uh, so I just said uh, a little bit here and there, a little nibble off a couple of these appetizers. Um, and I was, then the agreement was I could continue to do these shows as long as they were not on TV nights. Mm -hmm. And Conrad, these shows took on such an added importance when I did realize the extent of the head injuries. 
because I was I was really having trouble. Short term memory was really bad. Um, so that repetition, yeah, the helps. repetition. Uh, a year or so later, or it may have been two years, when I got off the stage in uh, in Boston with Chris Nowinski in the audience, I said, "Chris, I said this might sound crazy, but I feel like I'm getting better." And he said, "Mick, what you're doing on that stage is like gymnastics for the mind. Hmm. It's the best form of exercise." I said, "How so?" He goes. Well, you have stories that you've memorized, you have stories that you're working on, and you're playing off the crowd. So he called it mental gymnastics. And even though uh, this run of the tour is over, and I'm not sure when I'll be going out on a regular basis again, I've got other things that keep my mind working, like this show. Yes. And as goofy as some of the uh, videos I do, uh, they do require thought. Yes. And uh, it keeps me sharp. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm feeling really good. But when I was, uh, when I uh, when I got to WWE and they sent me to Pittsburgh first for a full uh, physical, I, <laughs> I was measured at 6'1 and a quarter. And I was like, I know, I know I used to be 6'4", right? Like two and three quarters inches, a lot of height to lose. So now we go through all the x-rays and I see my spine and it just taking a sharp turn to the left. And I said, what is that? And he goes, that looks like acquired scoliosis. And I know, I know all about scoliosis because I was from that era where the, you'd, everyone would lift up their shirt, gym and class, gym. and someone yeah. would come and you know, look at your spine. So now my spine is hooking wide to the left. And uh, it's called acquired because it comes on because uh, largely, or at least in my case, because of other injuries that I favored, the body is really amazing in its ability to adapt. And the priority for the body is to keep your eyes straight. Wow. So if you are lean, so if you are having trouble with a certain part of your body, yeah. Your body will curve to adjust in a way that keeps your eyes centered straight, which is crazy when you think about it, right? Yeah. And then as the as you start developing, developing trouble, you start leaning certain ways, and that's you know I'm not trying to say that what I'm going through is what a is what a young man with cerebral palsy or a young woman, but a lot of times they have to have the major corrective surgeries on their spines because their condition puts them in a situation where. It's more comfortable to lean over, and they uh-huh. gradually do that for a period of years. So I, I said to the doctor, I said, would that account for the missing three inches? He goes, yes, it would. And I'll never forget, I took a flight home. I I drive up, I approach the driveway, and Noelle, I think, was getting the mail. And she goes, how'd it go, Dad? And I just looked at her, and I went, I shook my head. I had tears in my eyes. You know, like I did not know just how bad it was. Compounded by that, uh, Dr. Maroon in Pittsburgh, who's mentioned in the concussion movie, you know, not in a positive way. And I was like, that's my doctor. Hey, that's my doctor. Um, He was set to do some uh, neurological work on my spine. And then I get a call. Uh, from his assistant, he goes, look, we've been looking over your MRIs, your x-rays. He said, you've got too many issues. He goes, you've got muscular, neurological, skeletal, 
And even if we are able to help uh, from a neurological standpoint, nothing we can do but those other things. And now you're tired. So yeah. it's, I'm looking at all these things I did during the course of my career. Are, I mean, I'm paying, the, I'm paying a steeper price than I thought imaginable. Yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, of course my hip's going to be sore. My knees are going to be hurting. I'm going to be arthritic. But I was like, now I'm curved around like this, you know? I mean, it was really... It was really, I know saying tough times are relative. And there's other people who say, hey, I'd trade lives with you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. getting up at 6 a.m. I'm working a, you know, two jobs to make ends meet. Nonetheless, this was pretty, pretty devastating for me. And so I was going back to WWE in a really, in a, in a tough, place. in a dark place. Yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough time for me. The concussions seeing the fallout, uh, seeing the, you know, how, how much I, you know, lost in height, how I had a back. I, first, when he called me up, uh, the assistant, he, he goes, okay, we got your MRIs back. This is before they even decided not to do the surgery. And I said, how is he? He goes, it's a, it's a bad MRI. And I went, how bad? He goes, it's bad. And he proceeded to talk. It's like five different discs, you know. All things that I kind of knew, but it's still, man, that stings when you actually see the proof. And now I find out it's not just the discs, it's the spine itself. Like, I think even people who don't like me or warned me, like, I think even they're like, whoa, whoa, uh, Mother Nature and Father Time have kicked this guy's ass a little more than I think is necessary. But uh, it it was a really, it was, it was a tough time for me, a tough time compounded by the fact that we didn't know Mickey had autism. We had moved from Long Island to Florida and back to Long Island, but now we're no longer in the house that he knew and loved. And I just felt like a failure as a father. Like I let my son down because he was really not knowing he had the autism and, and uh, that he really thrived in regularity. It's like that scene in Beyond the Mat where I'm like, oh, I've never felt like a dad, a bad dad before. And now I've got that feeling, but it's like, tenfold wow so i mean it seemed to take out you know in the matter of six months i went from thinking hey i'm doing pretty good to be like wow my life is really falling apart here weird time to ask the follow-up but i am curious <laughs> you know what were there any corrective measures you were able to take for your spine bang the the ddp yoga really uh, helped the lengthening stretching emphasis on some of those stretches the swimming, there was a young lady I'd gone to high school with named Avril, who I found out uh, specialized in uh, corrective uh, kinesiology. And uh, she worked me really hard. She would come over uh, for three days a week and work on me for a couple hours. When I say work on me, I mean, I would do the exercises. And then I got to where those exercises became part of my life. And then she introduced me to swimming and water aerobics. And I'd been a pretty good swimmer. And then I started implementing the DDP yoga stuff. And that was, in large part, why I lost all that weight that I've since gained back. Um, I mean, how tall are you now? I, You know what was cool? I'm afraid to measure myself. I think you're taller but, than me, and I'm 6'3", so I think you're close. Whoa. I, I do know, uh, I, 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 for those of you uh, looking on social media, I took a photo with Nita Strauss, the great guitarist, and her yes. boyfriend, Josh. And I appear to be about a foot taller than both of them. And it's not like Josh is, I guess he's 5'5", five, 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 you know. The, the, some of it might be an illusion where I'm 
you know, uh, in the foreground. Um, <coughs> but I, I noticed at a convention four years ago, probably, uh, in South Florida, where I would stand up for every photo, and uh, I was getting a lot of comments, which is, wow, you're taller than I thought. I get that anyway, but this was coming in rapid succession. So the next time I went to a doctor's office, I asked to be measured, and I was up to six three and a half. Wow, there you go. So it did make a change. Yeah, it really did. So if you're out there, I'm not saying that every condition can be uh, cured or greatly improved, but brother, don't, you don't give up. Don't give up. You don't know unless you try. Uh, above all else, a positive mental outlook is more important than anything, as evidenced by Steve Mongo McMichael. Yeah. You never see a photo with Mongo Not where he smiling. doesn't have that light in his eyes. He's smiling. God bless you. You know, this is a man. That's a, that is, if not the cruelest disease, yes. it's up there. It is. Uh, so you take this mountain of a man who knows his physical condition is decreasing every day, and yet he's got this amazing attitude. So things can get better, and if. Uh, even if they look their worst, yeah, you keep that positive mental attitude, which is obviously easier said than done. Our next partner is a product I literally use every day. My wife and I started taking AG1 at the start of the pandemic because we wanted to optimize our immune system. Well, along the way, we learned that you could get better gut health, more energy, and we hated, or I hated, taking pills and vitamins. In fact, I always said, hey, if I'm going to take this, it better taste good. Well, guess what? AG1 does. What is this stuff? Athletic greens. All right. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all the things. It's also lifestyle friendly. Whether you're trying to eat keto or paleo or vegan or dairy free or gluten free, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything, and it still tastes great. It's going to support better sleep quality and recovery. It's going to support mental clarity and alertness. And my wife and I kind of look at it as like all in one nutritional insurance. But don't take our word for it. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five star reviews. And we believe it's time for you to reclaim your health right now and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition with just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You were quoted in the observer in uh, August of 2011, where you said, unlike TNA, where if you weren't on the show, you weren't a value to the company, but the WWE, there's any number of things I could do. So we're just trying to find out what we want it to be and how big we want it to be. Nice little shot there at TNA. It, you know what? It, it, I read that and I thought it wasn't meant to be a shot. Because WWE just has more facets to their company yeah. than just a TV show. But it, it was true at that time that you know that was the main feature of the show yeah. is yeah. Who's, who's on the show. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, 
yeah, I haven't I haven't been on WWE uh, wrestling programming, meaning Raw, SmackDown, yeah, pay per views yeah. in um, in two years now. But yet, I'm still working on projects. Yes, you know, I mean, they're coming out with the well, allegedly. We can't allegedly, talk about can't it. talk about it. I can tell you that the pops thing, brother. Sorry about that. I was a buddy, the elf type Coca Cola. Not maybe not on that level, uh, but you know. Well, what the, makes you burp like that, Mick? I'm just curious. What makes me burp like that is this uh, uh, fine energy drink from my good friend Black Adam. That's right. Uh, heck of a name. Heck of a name. I know a white Adam. <laughs> he doesn't have a drink, though. <laughs> and although he is among the baddest-ass superstars of all time, uh, he could use my help. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it really is good. I always ask for it, right? I'm not much oh, of no. an energy drinker, and I think this is the best one out there, meaning it's the least unhealthy I, i've still yet to try it but i'm oh, going to hey you gotta try it i'm going to yeah yeah so uh let's talk about when you come back it's november 2nd 2011 can i just elaborate just a little more sure 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 I, probably at the time there was a little bit of the offhanded uh yeah, uh, yeah maybe a little bit but i think the central truth is that there's a there's there's far more for a non-wrestler to yes. do because the the case in TNA was I went from being the primary non-wrestling talker to being one of five non-wrestling talkers, and there really wasn't a spot for me. And it wasn't like they could say, hey, we're going to have you go out and, and do this. Uh, you know, we, we, there's a whole bunch of things you can do uh, beneath the radar in WWE. Yes. And that's why it just seemed like a better fit. And the truth is, it's home. Of it's really home. I, I mean, I'm out and about a lot. And I rarely get asked about my time in TNA. Yeah. You know, like I'm a WWE guy. Yeah. And uh, and I'm good with that. So you make oh, your big return. God. I love that. <laughs> Boy, you're going to have them buzzing now. Do you know the last time I reached out to Tony Khan? Hypothetically, just so you know, they can slam the door in your face all they want. And it's okay. Your teeth are already out. They're already out, bro. It's no big deal. You're ready to roll. Let me see what I said to TK. Uh, I'll I'll just tell you. I can't take too long. I just reached out and said, hey, have you ever thought of procuring the rights of uh, Thunderstruck or Thunder Rosa? Uh, This is about a year ago. Just out of the blue, you know, not like, hey, can I have a job? I was like, you ever think about securing the rights to, I just thought, man, that would be epic, right? Get the whole crowd a big time entrance, and, Yeah. And he thanked me for it, just uh, wished me well, and then uh, away I went. Uh, how about that? Good guy. I met Tony years and years ago. Great guy. Great guy. I, I, I hate that, you know, and listen, we've we've been critical of TNA at times, but Boy, Dixie Carter and her family oh, invested yeah. so much money in mm-hmm. wrestling and created so many opportunities for guys. And now Tony Khan's done the same thing. Yeah. And I feel bad as a guy who's been friendly with Tony before he owned AEW that, man, this guy loves it so much and has spent so much money. And yet people still like to dog it and take shots as if wrestling would be better without him. That's just Crazy. not the case. Right. Like, wrestling's better with Tony Khan. Much better. Yes. Yeah, it's better for AEW. Yes. It's better for WWE. Yeah. Because, and all the people in the business. I would tell you that I was talking to a uh, mid-90s female talent. Yeah. Who told me she had never made over X amount of dollars a year 
and I was shocked, shocked. So now someone on that level in the female roster makes well over a million dollars a year. Yes. And I don't know if they're doing that without the competition. Yeah. So I'd like to think WWE's doing it because it's the right thing, but uh, they say a, a rising tide lifts all boats. It did. And uh, it's, I'm, look, when people say, are you, are you a WWE loyalist? I said, yeah. first and foremost, I'm for the boys. And when oh, I say boys, I mean collectively the men and the women. The talent. I want what's best for the talent. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I do believe that what's best for the talent is best for the company. So I love WWE, but I love the fact that there's uh, a strong competition. Yeah. If they're claiming it's not competition, they're fooling themselves. Well, case in point, how different would Cody Rhodes' career look if yeah. there wasn't an mm-hmm. AEW? Yeah. I mean, and there's so many other great examples. I just, I know we got sidetracked there. I just, uh, man, I hope as wrestling fans, we continue to encourage people to want to invest in wrestling, not shame them. It, wrestling wouldn't yeah. be better if it was smaller. Wrestling's better when it's bigger. Well, look at, you know, you do the show with Jeff. Yeah. And so Jeff's probably told you about the time that the old TNA was literally on its last leg. Yes. They were asking, uh, trying to hold out for to pay off the loans, and can you hold out just a few weeks longer? Dixie was the PR person. Yes. Jeff had no idea uh, what her family, what her dad yes. did for a living. And uh, she talked to Jeff afterwards, said, I think I might have a way to keep things going. And she became... An investor. An investor. An angel. An angel. And an angel investor in this world. What did she get for it? Nonstop abuse. Grief. Grief. You know, I was like, what kind of a self-loathing group of people are we to be blasting angrily this woman? You want to argue that she relied too much on established talent. That's one thing, right? But, you know, there were some great moments in TNA. I completely disagreed with the idea that in order to be paid, you had to be on the show. Therefore, we're going to put everybody we can on each show so that we're not forcing these people who are already sleeping four to a hotel room and cramped on coach class seats. You know, we're going to send them home without any pay. Why not just change the way the pay structure was given so that you get paid if you show up? You know, these are all minutiae. But the main point is Dixie did a lot. Uh, for the world of wrestling and got unparalleled grief because if Tony Khan has done an amazing uh, job uh, for all of us. Yes. And, uh, and he probably shouldn't be as hands-on as he is as far as social media. You know, I mean... Uh, he's very accessible. He's very accessible and maybe too accessible. But if that's the knock on him, is that he cares too much? I'll take that all day. I'll take that all day, too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Let's, let's, let's keep going here. Uh, Hold on. Uh, I hope I don't turn an ankle jumping off my soapbox here. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I really thought when you said, hold on, we were about to have Foley's first fart. Uh, I'm glad we didn't get that, because I was, like, holding my breath a little, and you said, hold on. Like, Accompanied by sugar cookies. Yes. Now, that would be fine. But mm. I bet yours smell more like Whataburger, if I had to guess. Mm. I'm going to tell you a secret here. Okay. Uh, when I was on the set of Peanut Butter Falcon, yeah, I saw great movie. By great, the way. yeah, oh man, it's such a great movie. Uh, small part, but that didn't stop Jimmy Fallon from raving about my role when he had Dakota Johnson on the show. I love it. She's talking about it. He goes, by the way, Mick Foley is just great in this movie, and Dakota looks like she's thinking the same thing I'm thinking, which is he's in it for forty five seconds, right? So she goes, yeah, he is. He goes, 
that guy's the greatest. That's Jimmy. Jimmy, right. who I met one time, you know, when The Rock uh, Rock uh, hosted Saturday Night Live. But uh, get me back on gear. Where was it? So at? we're talking about your farts smelling like Whataburger? Yes. So I see the ladies from uh, costuming and laundry, and they're like whispering, and they're laughing at me. And I walk over. I said, what? Can, you know, not, not confrontational, but what are you laughing about? She goes, we know something you don't know. And I go, what is it? And she goes, you really want to know? I said, yeah. And she goes, you don't smell. I said, what? And she goes, don't get me wrong. You perspire heavily, but you don't smell. She goes, other people, they smell. And I, the only thing I can think of is because I was eating so clean at the time that what I was putting into my system was not coming out in a foul way. Um, so there, you have it. I don't smell. Although my wife has proof. That's what I was uh, say. Yeah, you might want to bring her on the show. Yeah. You I, think we could bring all the Foley's on for uh, Christmas you know extravaganza? What we, need we need to bring the green screen. To and we'll do a little Foley Christmas special up there. We could do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, girl, we'll take this show on the road. Let's do that. Maybe well, in the we don't background have the of the come to you. Background of the Great Smoky Mountains. Maybe Let's we have it. a little snow there. All right. Okay. I'm for it. So uh, your big triumphant return. You know, we got to figure out how big a splash we want to make at a house show in Dublin, November second, two thousand eleven. Meltzer would say this: Foley came out as a surprise, and the crowd went crazy for him. Miz came out and cut a promo saying that nobody cares about Foley anymore. Morrison and Cena came out. Cena and Morrison beat r Truth and Miz with Foley as the referee when Cena pinned Miz after the attitude adjustment. Uh, you also had a chance to uh, have some hijinks in the Punk Del Rio match for the world title. Uh, somehow, Miz winds up in there. He takes the GTS, the attitude adjustment, the Starship pain, and even the Mr. Socko. <laughs> Worked a couple of house shows in Manchester, Newcastle. Uh, boy, it's a, it's a different company you're coming back to. <laughs> it is cool that you just happen to be over there doing your comedy tour. But yeah. I was kind of surprised that this is how you come back. But Yeah, house show in, in Dublin. It's not the way people usually do it. So I was in catering. The first person I see is Edge. And he does that double take. Take <laughs> Whoa, this is, a this is a surprise. He goes, a good surprise, but this is not where we expect to see you. Right. You expect to see old friends at, like, at Raw, MSG, yeah, MSG things yeah. like that, but not in Dublin. So I not only remember the thing with Miz, I remember the promo which Miz delivered at my urging. He had made fun of me for being a Tori Amos fan. Okay. And then he, and then he goes, let me, he goes, yeah, Foley, you used to be somebody, but let me tell you something about used to be. Used to bees don't count anymore. They just lie on the floor till you sweep them away. And I looked at him. I said, "Did you just quote Neil Diamond?" And then he <laughs> begged, "No, no, no, I don't know. No. Because it sounded a lot to me like you were quoting Neil Diamond." And so he had confessed to quoting, uh, <laughs> "You don't bring me flowers." <laughs> with Neil Diamond. My gosh! And it was just fun. It was the idea yes. that you could do anything. It's a house show. It was really fun. It was really a low-key way to come back. Yeah. And, and my schedule just worked out. Like, I did, I called Johnny Ace a couple days before. I was like, Johnny, I'm in Dublin the day before you guys were there. Why not? And I've got a day off, and that's how it worked in Manchester and and uh, Newcastle. I had 
just happened to work out with my tour. So how about that? It was a it was a nice, fun way uh, to come back. But then when I did make that TV return, brother, oh, I came back with a whimper. Uh, well, it happened a three hour <laughs> raw in Boston, November fourteenth, twenty eleven. Foley's going to sign the petition, and it's time for the reprise of This Is Your Life for John Cena. And the story here is you had two goals. The first is to make Cena and Rock friends before their tag match at Survivor <laughs> Series. And the second is to get the crowd in Boston to cheer Cena. Meltzer would say, of course, both backfired. When Foley praised Cena, he was booed. Yes, in his debut, they played a music video of Cena as a little kid. <laughs> They brought out Cena's Little League baseball coach, played by Jimmy Vargas, an area indie wrestler. He talked about how in the clutch, Cena struck out. And, uh, and Cena noted he struck out looking. Uh, next was the return of Barry Buchanan, and they showed clips of the original heel rapper Cena with Buchanan as his sidekick, B-squared. And first, he talked about how his team with Cena was the best time of his career, <laughs> But then he said he got fired, divorced, lost all his money. His dog gave him rabies and Cena ruined his life and left. <laughs> and then Foley introduced John Cena senior. Cena senior, of course, was great yelling at the fans for booing. My son. son doesn't suck. You suck. <laughs> Saying how hard his son works and the fans. You have no idea how hard my son, how hard my son works. Hard. My kids ran around imitating Mr. Cena for the next two years. <laughs> Cena senior acted horrified at how bad the segment was doing. It's weird to describe it because it was terrible, but it had that train wreck quality that always draws ratings. It was supposed to be terrible. Let's and just, uh, it was supposed to be terrible. It did say that? Yes. Ah, there you go. Cena said this segment was a catastrophe and went to leave. Cena didn't say much here, but he was great in his facial, selling the idea that this whole thing was awful and how every time people were pandering to the people trying to get him cheered, the people booed him even more. <laughs> Foley told him to stay and teased they were bringing an ex-girlfriend but the rock's music played. He walked to the <laughs> ring, gave Foley a rock bottom and left. Listen, we, you're, this is your rock life segment is one of the most right. famous segments in history. I get this as a nod to it, but maybe we should have done that week two for you. Maybe it's not the way to make a return. No, but here. So it's a big main event thing though. It is. I mean, it is helping build that, that, program yes but as far as making an impactful return yeah um not the way i should have gone but one thing to keep in mind is man i don't want to go so heavy on the concussions but they will make you doubt your sense of worth okay they met so uh, you know a lot a lot of people have felt that even stronger than i have uh, some guys uh, uh, a former Oriole player who was in the front office took his own life uh, because of the, um, you know, the constant badgering that goes with that job. But now he's got the inability to take that because of the head injuries. So what I should have done, I should have said to Brian, listen, I, I get that's fun. And I admire the idea of failing on purpose. I really do. I'd be happy to do that in, you know, maybe not week two, but two, three months into my return, but maybe I should do something a little different for my first show. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to make waves. I did admire the idea that it was supposed to fail on purpose. I, I respected that. 
it was it was something that was going to build the program. Yeah. But it probably wasn't the right way to come back out of the gate after three years. Yeah. Well, we do get a fun skit with you uh, doing the SmackDown on November 29th in Charlotte. It's a live SmackDown. And again, it's November 29th. So, of course, it's a Christmas show. Of course. A month early. month early. Uh, and here you are. And Booker T's here dressed like a skinny Santa. <laughs> You're going to ask him to do a spinner Rudy like a dreidel for the Jewish viewers. <laughs> they play the dreidel music. You're singing it. Meltzer would say, you really could see why a major demo doesn't go to the shows a lot of time. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, Booker Santa wig comes off while he's doing the spinner Rooney. Rhodes comes out. He's the first guy on the show, not in a costume. Of course, you're going to set up Rhodes versus Booker, but. What do you remember about this? You're 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 doing Santa. Yeah, you're having some fun with Booker. Mm-hmm. Feels like this would be your speed. Yeah, the dreidel thing. I'm all in on that. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I I know some people don't appreciate my love of the <laughs> absurd, but I do. I do. I do like that stuff. Did uh, I do remember cutting a promo for it on my way to Santa's village, and it, it was like, who will get you know. So who will get something? Who will get candy in their stockings? And who will get coal? And uh, then they show the image of Michael Cole. Uh, and later on, you will see that's kind of my official announcer voice, the one that I used on uh, uh, the cookie, mm-hmm. the cookie video. Mm-hmm. That was uh, really, uh, you know. Five-star effort. Com- compelling. And so I will do that one of this. It's kind of my official voice. And I like it. And I may have taken a little bit of what John Cena brought to the table when he announced Richard, uh, the refrigerator Perry as the celebrity inductee into the WWE hall of fame, because he had that old time NFL films announcer voice. And I liked it. And I think I may have borrowed it. Thank thank you, John. So next up, we see you, uh, on the slammies in Norfolk. It's going to be December 12th. So I'm being used quite regularly at this point. Every couple weeks I'm on that show. Yep. You're, you're doing the holy bleak moment of yeah. the year with uh, Ted DiBiase. Uh, and then you have uh, an appearance in Anaheim, your first appearance of 2012. Uh, it opens uh, with a long interview segment. You're out first, and uh, you bring up doing the This Is Your Life John Cena thing. They boo. Uh, you talk about your career. You mentioned that you headlined at WrestleMania at the Honda Center. You talked about going to the Disneyland uh, before and all that jazz and out comes Ziggler and Vicky Guerrero mm-hmm. and you're already in a segment talking about the rumble. Um, talk to me about how it comes about where they're at least discussing with you the idea. What if you did a rumble match? Well, yeah, the idea was, um, before and I'm jumping ahead. Um, before I failed my impact right impact test uh, to gauge head injuries, that I would do one or two matches a year, and that the Rumble is kind of a safe way, uh, uh, dipping your toes in the shallow end of the pool. And it also was done in a way where I thought it was kind of meaningful, where CM Punk even alluded to the fact that, hey, Mick Foley's in the Rumble. I would love to face Mick Foley for the title. And I think it's safe to say, out of the 30 people who were in there, and I know there have been a few rumbles where we've had more, it would be generous to say that 
10 of those people could conceivably be in the mix for that big yes. slot at WrestleMania. Probably five or six. Yes. But I think when you bring back somebody and he... Gives, has the pedigree. He has a pedigree that while you are watching that rumble, you believe that guy stands a chance. Yeah. And I think I had worked hard enough and done enough to where I was that guy who stood a chance. And one of the things I regret is I thought I had a pretty good storyline for Ziggler, especially because Ziggler was a guy who to this day people don't think has gotten the push he should have. At that time with Vicky Guerrero, the issue was I didn't believe it the same way that Edge made me believe it. Edge made me believe, not that he was in love with Vicky, but that he was using Vicky and he really sunk his teeth into it. Uh-huh. You know, I know I already used the word absurd, but when I thought Edge was done and his career was over, I said, oh, he embraced the ridiculous. That's what I said, not the absurd. Like, Edge really put everything he had into every moment, no matter how ridiculous it was. And sometimes the more ridiculous it was, the more effective it was because of the portrayal. And I think when he was with Vicky, you sense this guy is going to, we know he doesn't love her. Yeah. uh, But he is going to use her for everything he can before discarding the bones. And I never got that feeling with Dolph. There was always a, I don't get this. I know she's wearing the cougar thing. It didn't have the same feeling of authenticity uh, that the the, uh, edge angle did. Yeah. So I had pitched an idea involving Amy Schumer, who wanted to be in WWE, sent it. Uh, Maybe I will find the email and show it to you in an upcoming episode. I rarely get that involved, where I write to the powers that be and say, I believe this woman is going to be a big star. She has this background with Dolph. They broke up because she claims he was too athletic. This feeds perfectly into his storyline and his character. And that was dismissed. But what we got, what was shot down or not utilized, is that I wanted John Laurinaitis. Now, you tell me what movie and now popular show. This is long before it it had its, uh, its, its second life as an amazing TV show. I wanted John Laurinaitis pull uh, Dolph aside and say, did you know in order to come back to WWE, every superstar has to have a full and complete medical evaluation? And Dolph not is having it. Mick Foley has a partially torn right and interior cruciate ligament. Take him out. And then Dolph would go, but, but Johnny, I can beat this guy. But Sensi, I can beat this guy. Yeah, karate kid. Take him out. And so now you're going to have a major, a, a heel, specifically taking out the body part of a beloved veteran, which I thought would be great for Dolph and maybe result in a singles match in which I would happily, joyfully put him over. Yeah. And I thought Dolph is good enough to carry me, right? He's what if Mr. The... Fuji came out and rubbed his hands together? <laughs> I thought, I mean, Miyagi. Oh, well, Miyagi. Well, but if, 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 if Ziggler's paying, is playing Johnny... And Mr. Ace is the sensei saying, sweep the leg. Do you have a problem with that? Fuji making a random appearance. I believe Fuji was deceased by that time. Mm. We could check. One of the great moments. And listen, I'm telling, I'm putting wrestlers on call, on notice. I'm putting uh, the powers of B creative on notice. Everyone who loves the creative process of wrestling 
and character development owes it to themselves to watch at least one season of Cobra Kai. Oh, it's good. To yeah. see what they do with Johnny Lawrence. By the way, Fuji was with us till 2016. He could have done this. Okay. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I agree with you. Cobra uh, Kai, great storyteller. And Johnny Lawrence. And to see the way that Ralph Macchio willingly plays the straight man so that Johnny can have the shinier moments. Yes. It's really a it's 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 really great. And I will tell you, I don't want to spoil it for anyone out there, but in the finale of the latest season of I petered out on it. Should I tag back in? Johnny Lawrence makes a comeback of steamboat esque wow. proportions. Are there arm drags? Maybe. There are. Oh arm drags. Well, no, maybe. there are not, but I <laughs> yeah. but it is a better performance. I will say, uh that Johnny Lawrence turns in a better performance in the finale of Karate Kid than Steamboat did at the Temple of Tranquility. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Have to check it out. I thought we were going with the Al Snow joke there. Uh, so listen, what we get a, a fun appearance here where you're actually going to come back out and uh, and there's going to be some physicality. The main event of this show right. is Mark Henry and Dolph Ziggler and Mr. Otunga taking on Jericho, Punk, and Brian. And you're going to come out, tell the referee that Johnny Ace has given you authorization to come out. Punk makes the hot tag to you. You throw a couple of hot punches, hit the double arm DDT, and then the Socko. There's the win. Of course, here comes Johnny Ace, who says he never gave the authorization. <laughs> Punk grabs the mic, cuts a hell of a promo on Johnny Ace, says Ace wants to screw him out of the title, and he's jealous because Laurinaitis was never as good as him. He's never accomplished anything in his career. And in fact, Punk accomplished more in the last year than he did in his entire career. He talked about being the brother of Road Warrior Animal, but he never made it as a pro wrestler, blah, blah, blah. The Johnny Ace Punk stuff, boy, that was some good stuff, was good it stuff. not? And I think, you know, uh, some people have soured on Punk because of the backstage Recent fight. stuff, yeah. But brother, he was the glue that was holding that company together for a long time. Yes. He put on good to great matches on a nightly basis, and his promos were the top. Best. Of, they, were, they were the best in the business, I think, at that time. Yes, especially the way that he would draw people in. I'll give you an example. Is uh, have you ever? I know I, it, people expect me to go off on tangents here, right? Yeah, it's the best part of the show. Best part of the show. So have I told you my story about my backstage promo with uh, Moxley in Pittsburgh before Moxley's match with uh, with Brock? I don't think so. It was a really good learning experience because I find out it's a backstage promo and not an in-ring promo, which it takes a little life out of me. And then I think, let me look at the glass half full. You can do some things backstage without worrying about the Crowd pop. response. Crowd response. You can make points that you can't make in ring so i all right i i'm down for this uh dewey my oldest son is working for wwe at that time he sees the promo i'm supposed to deliver tells my wife dad's not gonna like this promo my wife says don't worry about dad dad's been around a long time so i'm sitting with a pre-man becky lynch right becky's a part of the mix but nowhere near as big as she was going to pre-man pre-man yeah pre-man steampunk becky lynch steampunk steampunk Becky Lynch, who is not being used up to her potential. Yes. Which is part of what made the turn with Charlotte so much. Yes. When people were chanting, I was sitting with people, and they go, why are they chanting, you deserved it? 
to Charlotte. I said, I don't think they're saying you deserved it to Charlotte. I think they're saying you deserve it to Becky. Deserve what? I said, I think they believe this is going to be the push they wanted her to have. So in a weird way, being underutilized served as a great underdog story. underdog story. So I'm sitting with Becky. Uh, I'm given the promo that I have heard I'm not going to appreciate. And I look it over for a few minutes, and now the writer comes back, and I'm still still with Becky. And he goes, what do you think? I said, I think it's more humorous in tone than it should be. I said, remember, I'm going to be giving this the, the barbed wire bat to, uh, to, we called him Dean at the time, Moxley. Okay, I said, so I, I don't think I should be doing the cheap pops and things like that. I said, overall, I said, uh, too, too humorous. And once I give him the bat, I don't think we need a witty retort. I don't think anything is as powerful as the bat. Dean looking at the bat. And I went through point after point after point after point. And then the guy's taking all these notes. He walks away and I look at Becky and I said, did you notice how this promo now bears no resemblance to the one that I was given, but I never made the writer feel that it wasn't his. And Becky looks at me and goes, ah, you're good. I said, Becky, sometimes the biggest battles you will fight don't take place in the ring, but you have to know when to, you know, there's only a few moments you can have where you say, I won't do this. If you can finesse it and make somebody feel good and make them feel like it's their promo, that's the way you should go. I'm getting to that because that's not the way Punk did things. Punk would crumple up a paper and throw it down. But anyway, um, there's this other part of the this promo that, to me, it was pretty magical. And I, I will probably get that little you know tingle, tingle thing when I do it. So I uh, have this line I want to pass by Moxley. And he's still kind of this weird dude who's kind of kayfabing everybody, you know. And I've got this past little relationship with him based on the, uh, you know. The indie thing. The indie thing. So I said, hey, John, there's this thing I wanted to run by you. And he says, like, okay, let me hear it. And I said, I run by the uh, the promo. And I said, I want to say, um, when I try to urge you not to take this match, he's going to say, uh, why'd you go up on top of that cell in Pittsburgh? And I go, I'm Mick Foley, that's what I do. And he goes, well, I'm Dean Ambrose, and this is what I do. And then I keep talking. He goes, hold on a second, hold on a second. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I like that. I like that. I go, which part of it do you like? He goes, I like that. I'm Dean Ambrose, and that's what I do. And so we we rehearse it backstage one time. And uh, they go, would you like to try it again? I said, I just got goosebumps on a rehearsal. I think we're good. And then we film it, and I hear the crowd pop in a way that they don't usually pop for backstage promos. And I came out of there feeling so fulfilled because I had a little bit of a vision. Yep. Uh, we brought it together, and I thought when I brought out that bat, and sure enough, no, any, no witty retort would have been more valuable than just John Moxley looking at that bat. And so, th- so that was my way of preparing you to say, what Punk would do is he was known to crumple it up, say it's garbage. But in this case, they come to him and uh, the opening line is, oh, look what's just floated in from the Thanksgiving, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. 
And uh, Phil looks at the guy and goes, this is Mick Foley. He's one of the best wrestlers of all time. We know he's heavy. Like, I'm not going to go there. That's cheap Pete. I'm going to regard him. And it was so that was his way of establishing it. And at that time, I was having a big problem with my memory. Couldn't remember much. And I really needed the coaching from Heyman, you know. So uh, there was one promo, and I know I might be jumping ahead. This is the Jerry Lawler promo. Uh, where they're going to start dogging on Lawler. And Paul Heyman says, he looks me in the eyes and he goes, when we get out there, like, I don't know if he called himself the devil incarnate, but the worst person, the evil person, that's who I am. Treat me as such. And I'm wondering what I'm going to say. I'm wondering what I'm going to say. And they start bad mouth and I come out and that's where I just said the simple line. I said, Jerry Lawler was dead. He was dead. And it was like it fired up people. I realized later on that what I was doing was the line from Almost Famous, where the young, the young, impressionable kid finds out that Penny Lane had been traded for a case of beer. Yeah, and she laughs it off, and he goes, "I was there. I was there." And afterwards, on the way home, I'm thinking, "That was Almost Famous. He was dead." Then you emphasize yes. that second point, the same point a second time, but with much more of vociferousness. Yes. And so all of a sudden, partially because, partially because of Paul, partially because of Phil, in large part because of Punk, I start to regain my sense of confidence in my ability to cut promos. That's awesome. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I appreciate that you're... Uh able to talk positively about punk it feels like yeah. it's not in fashion it's not right in now. fashion right now which is but, not fair uh, but i think you know you need to you need to point out the fact that yes. uh he lifted people's games yes in ways you wouldn't expect it i got is, back into wrestling because of his pipe bomb promo yeah a pipe bomb promo there was a guy named tim kale who uh he helped me out on my socials for a while but he was a great writer and he wrote this great article about how so much of what had happened positively in wrestling could be traced back to that pipe bomb promo. Yeah. It's worth a read. Tim Kale. Uh, I'll come a couple weeks. I'll, I'll, I'll find it and I'll, and I'll repost it. All right, boys and girls, the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. Come on. You already know the deal. This episode of Folius Pod is proudly sponsored by Blue Chew. And guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom. You know, when it's time to uh, step up to the plate, that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take these dudes anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. As Mick and I always say, think of it as like a... uh, Hot tag for your wiener. Now, the process is simple. You'll sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, well, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all online, y'all. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package. Come on. If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. We're talking about having better sex, guys. Come on. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Foley at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. 
That's bluechew.com. The promo code is Foley to receive your first month for free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And oh yeah, we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. So let's talk about the Royal Rumble, man. Um, first of all, you get to win a match on Raw, which is cool. But now we're doing a Rumble match. I can't believe it. Over 10 years ago now in St. Louis. It's going to be ultimately won by Sheamus. But you're in it, man. Um, by the way, just an aside to say what a freaking amazing year Sheamus is having. Oh, he's unbelievable. And what is he, 45? What's crazy is somebody pointed out on Twitter, and I forget who, but they pointed out that he's older now than Jake was when he came back to the WWF in 96. And boy, you couldn't tell it. Sheamus looks younger and better than ever. I think he might be having one of the best years of his career. And at this age, after coming back from a serious back injury, yeah, man, at his height and weight, that's not normal. And he's just, it's almost like he's like, uh, uh, drinking whatever Dustin Rhodes has been drinking. Like something's going around, man. These guys are somehow getting better. What is that? That's the spot I can point to on my forearm that still hurts from 2016 when Seamus looked at me before he went out and he said, I want you to hit me as hard as you can out there, fella. And I said, I think I can make it look good without doing that. He said, as hard as you can. And he walked away. And all of a sudden, I felt this great weight lifted off my shoulder. No pressure. And when I got in there, only the second time in my career, the other time being when Triple H brought out the best in me when we were building up our big match in 2000, where I was like, I think somebody sped up that video. because I don't move that fast. So I had dropped 50 big ones, you know, and I would go on to drop another 50 more and then gain all of it back. But at that time, I'd been working really hard, especially aquatically. When you throw hooks and uh, um, hooks and uppercuts underwater for periods of time, 30, 45 seconds, you throw them as hard as you can, it's a heck of an upper body workout. It really is. And so I had some endurance at that time, and I was letting them go in the corner, man, faster and harder than I think I ever had. And uh, I remember Huey, my son, he was with me, uh, two of the other kids were with me, and on the way home, I got this message from Avril, the one who helped me with the, the transformation, and she's like, are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you this? And Huey says, uh, Dad, is Avril a pain in the neck? I go, do you think she is? He goes, yeah. I said, do you think I would have been in that ring last night without her? He said, no, I said, sometimes you need a pain in the neck, a pain yeah. in the neck in uh, your life. So Avril, if you're listening, thank you very much. I know she's probably disappointed. You know, I put on all that weight back, but man, it really helped me. And that's, but that's shoot, man. That is right here where I hit Seamus 20 He's times fine, in a row. But- He's fine. He was fine five minutes. Probably was fine from the moment I did it. Five minutes later, he was fine. And here I am. This all these is, years later. Six years later, can point to the exact spot where I hit that hard-headed SOB as many times as I could. Shout out to James. Great guy, too. Yeah. Uh, I think he lives in your neck of the woods, He does, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you come in at 7 minutes and 57 seconds. Meltzer, not always the biggest fan. Foley should not have tried to run to the ring and instead walked because by not being able to run at all, it made him (laughs) seem like someone who shouldn't be in there. The crowd went nuts for him. Anyway, anyway. They felt like they're giving me a pass. That's what happens. Yes, they did. More than anyone thus far. Um, Foley gives Rhodes a double-arm DDT. 
The crowd went crazy for Rico uh, Ricardo Rodriguez. Um, it's an interesting time. Santino Morella's here. Yeah. You, you get to do Mr. Sacco in the Cobra hand. Yeah. Uh, in the end, Rhodes is going to throw you out. 14 minutes, 46 seconds. How'd you feel about it? You're in there working with a young Cody Rhodes. You got Santino, who's borrowing a page out of your book. Yeah. This is fun stuff. Did you have a good time? Well, I did, but I was alarmed, really shocked by how quickly I gassed out, even after... Um, Doing some cardio. Even after trying to work on it. At that point, my back was really bad. Uh, this dates back to when I do the comeback matches in TNA, and I just... My back was so bad that I history had shown, taught me that if I worked too hard, I was going to hurt my back and um, negate any process. Negate? Any process. Negate, maybe? Negate. Negate any process. Delegate and made. negate hooked up. So, they made a negate, baby. Uh, it was fun to be out there with Ricardo. Yeah. You know, because they were doing that split. And uh, with him and Del Rio, no one had seen what Ricardo could do, which is really impressive. You just saw him recently, Yeah, right? I did. I saw him uh, at the uh, uh, Baltimore Celeb Fest. And uh, he's been teaching people in Egypt. I think oh, he's wow. going to be uh, working with a promotion in Pennsylvania. He's a really good guy. Um, added so much to that. Uh, presentation. Uh, the presentation. The presentation was great still feel like maybe we can revisit for a Christmas 10 years ago when Santa was run over by a car and his reactions it was it was just incredible but I know this isn't about it isn't a, this episode is not about uh, Ricardo any more than it's about Seamus but I want to give credit where it's due and it was cool to be out there with him and then we have the matchup the showdown of the century Sako versus Cobra and the crazy thing is, we, I come back from the uh, uh, crazy, surreal, whatever you want to say. I come back, and for only the fourth time in my career, I believe, I'm given a standing ovation by the people uh, watching, uh, the other, my, my colleagues. And I'm thinking to myself, really? <laughs> really? Because the other three standing O's were, like, coming back after the... Uh, the I Quit match with right. the Rock, you know, uh, the match with the Undertaker, the little something we did inside the cell, like things where I was really in need of medical attention. And then I get a standing ovation for this, you know, like that's what, that's what I did. This, and then my chest hurt for about four days because of <laughs> my cardiovascular conditioning. Ah, oh, it was just, it was next to nothing really next to nothing. It was really difficult. And so when I go to conventions and I see like the photo I took that day being like sold as a Cactus Jack photo, I'm like, first of all, it's not Cactus. You know, that's, that's out of shape Mick Foley. You know, like, uh, let's, let's find a real Cactus Jack photo. But people, yeah, like that, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, it was amazing how that, I believe that's gone on, you know, when people talk about great moments of the oh, Royal sure. Rumble. Sure. People consider that one, and it still stands the test of time. Yeah, Hogan Warrior doing a face-off, yeah. you and Santino, <laughs> same, same. Uh, you pop up at WrestleMania backstage. It's unfortunately just a backstage vignette with you and Santino and yeah. the guy from Deadliest Catch. Right. But there's some other stories coming out of that weekend. 
Uh, here's from the observer. Dean Ambrose and Foley did an angle over the weekend of fan oh, access yeah, that yeah. was filmed for YouTube to make it appear as if somebody was just filming and suddenly there was a confrontation. Foley was talking to fans when Ambrose approached him and blamed him for 14 year olds ruining their lives and trying to emulate him and that somebody needs to hold him accountable for his actions, which were criminal. And we'll, we'll play that footage now. Mick, was it your idea to work with the now John Moxley? How does this whole angle? No, it wasn't. I remember it well because, uh, my, my, all four of my children at that time were, were big WWE fans, huge WWE fans. And they liked going to matches. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? As long as I'm still uh, Mick F. and Foley, I'm going to take them to as many shows as they want to go to, even if I'm not on them. So it was not uncommon when we were in the New York area for me to just be chilling by the monitor um, watching the matches. And that was the case for the uh, post-Christmas show in 2000, post-Christmas 2000. What year are we on? We're 2012. 2012. So we're early to 2012, uh, right? Yep. So in 2011, uh, December 26, 2011. No, it's got to be 2012. Got to be 2000. I'm sorry, I'm That's off right. by a year. The Ambrose thing took place in April of 2012. April 2012. And I did the. I did the. San, all right. April 2000. All right, so it is. It is Christmas. Uh, it's the day after Christmas 2011 that I take my children to the house show. How did I? How the heck did I? I'm just trying to think. My Hall of Fame induction was. So, all right, must be separate incidents, but it was. So, I think what it was was I took them again December 26, 2012. And that's where Hunter asked if he could speak to me in his office, and I feel like I'm going to be fired as an ambassador. And then I'll just go, oh, okay, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Thank you. Instead, he asked me if I wanted to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Wow. So a year earlier, he same, yeah, I'm getting my uh, years confused, but it's the same place. It's the same post-Christmas house show at Madison Square Garden. He calls me into his office. He says, hey, you're pretty big on social media, right? At that time, I think I had about 250,000 Twitter followers. Almost nothing uh, on Facebook, and I wasn't on Instagram at all. He goes, we wanted to do this grassroots thing, and he spelled it out to me, and he said, we got this guy. And I'd seen the guy. I'd seen John Moxley like uh, doing dark matches. Um, he didn't really stand out. You know, he didn't stand out at that time because, you know. Did you know about his CZW stuff? Or? No. Okay. Not at that time. Okay. Not, not when, the, and then I got, to, then I did a little research. Oh, this is something we can do. You yeah. know, we could say, uh, all right. I said, yeah, let me, let me do it. We were going to build it up via this thing at Mania. Yeah. Right. So it's in the works. Uh, he, John interrupts me with Ed. Um, Kosky. Kosky. Yeah. Ed Kosky. And we're off to the races. The problem was that unlike the days where my wife could drop me off at the cameraman's house in uh, White Plains, New York, the kids would go to a park and I would go inside and cut the Kane Dewey promo, the Uncle Willie promo. Like I would go and cut those promos and come back out as a completely normal, happy dad. The problem I was encountering is that I couldn't get out from underneath that dark cloud, that the promos I was cutting 
were creating what felt like a cloud over me yeah. emotionally that I could not get away from. And they were dragging me down. And I couldn't figure out why I used to be the guy who could go in and do these state-of-the-art promos, boom, and come out and be a good dad and go out and play on the swings with the kids. And now I just feel alone and, and down. And the more I put into my promos, the more real they felt. Yeah. Uh, and simultaneously, we're having this experience with Moxley where he doesn't know when I'm working and when I'm not. So he mentioned my kids, and it really bothered me because what he's saying feels like it could be factual. Yes. Like, I, I, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about head injuries. I'm seeing the futures that some of these guys had who did less than I did. You know, who didn't take the type of punishment that I did. Like, the writing is on the wall, and it looks pretty fucking scary. You know, I only dropped that F-bomb, but I'm worried for my future as a dad, as a husband, as a, you know, cognizant human being. And when he brings up the stuff about the kids, it really bothers me. And so I asked Dusty if he could help me talk to him. And Dusty walks over, Moxley's sitting, he's hanging out like uh, with one arm around, you know, he's, he's inside the ring barricade. He's either inside or he's in the front row of the seats, you know, where, where people are going over their stuff and working on moves. And I said, hey, John, can I talk to you for a second? And he, like, he looks panicked and he starts, like, almost like crawl stroking over the seats. So he's like walking, but crawling and this, and then he gets into a clearing almost like he's looking and it was weird. And so I called out to him. I said, John, uh, just do me a favor. I don't get to talk to him face to face. I'm talking to him about 15 feet away. I said, just do me a favor. Don't, don't mention my kids anymore. Uh, and he nods his head like that. Now, <laughs> this is where he, he covers this exactly the way that I remember it in, in his, his book. book. Which is a great book and an yes. incredibly honest book. And if we can find the one chapter where he talks about uh, a man, it's a great, I don't know, yeah. if it's the standout chapter. Not that a lot of them, especially, you know, the one about making the perfect sandwich is a good chapter, but he's got a great chapter about the state of the nation, more yes. to speak, and pro wrestling uh, and how wrestling doesn't belong to WWE. It doesn't belong to Vince McMahon. It belongs to all of us. It's really should be required reading. Um. So John has the, he writes this, it gets weirder. We go to London for TVs and I have a shitty cheap phone that doesn't work in Europe. So I'm basically out of communication for a few days in my mind, since we were quote unquote, working the boys, when Mick <laughs> said, don't talk about my family in front of those who I thought we were working, that was a signal to me that talking about his family <laughs> was exactly what he wanted me to do. At the TV hotel in London, I go to the business center, get on the computer, and tweet more shit about his family <laughs> because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Mick had been texting me that while this angle was going great, he actually did not want me to make mention of his family. In Europe, with my cheap phone, I was not receiving these texts and happily went on to do exactly what Mick had just asked me not to do. Mick did not appreciate this. We didn't know each other well, and he just figured I was an asshole. He was pretty upset with me and almost pulled the plug on the whole thing. When I returned to the U.S. soil, my phone lit up with messages, among them several long texts from Mick, asking me what the fuck my problem was. 
I was mortified. I would have never said anything intentionally disrespectful or out of the line with our story if it not was exactly what I thought he wanted me to do. I cursed my shitty phone for blowing the biggest opportunity of my life. I profusely apologized, explained it was a misunderstanding, and we smoothed it over quickly. But there must be a lesson to be learned here about trying so hard to work other people that you end up not knowing what's real and what's not. Crisis averted. We were back on. Oh, man. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. He was not getting the messages. I'm going to my wife, and I'm going, I just told him not to mention my family. And he's piling it on. It was yes. It was the craziest thing. And I was, I oh, man. Like I said, I was under this cloud anyway. Uh, but when we do decide to do business. Yes. Uh, I feel like we've got something to go on. Yeah. What I had proposed, I remember Punk really liked it. And I, I said something. I said, Phil, uh, do you imagine, at that time, 10 years ago, this was 2012. Yes. So I was 47. I said, do you imagine yourself uh, making a wrestling comeback at 47? He said, absolutely not. I said, neither did I. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, this is not what I thought I would be doing. And so I, I had proposed this idea for leading up to SummerSlam, which is where we wanted to go. Where and I, I don't know if I actually got to the point of proposing it for reasons we'll find out very shortly. Um, but I had this idea that I was going to borrow a page from Rocky Three, where Rocky overdoes the grandiosity of his training. <laughs> Remember, he got Paulie selling gimmicks, yeah. you know, and and um, you know, and they got a horn section doing the music. Of course, and Burgess Meredith goes change your tone, right? He wants it the old-fashioned way. So I want to team up with Zack Ryder, uh, Long Island's own uh, Long Island Ice Ice Z. Yes, I want Twisted Sister to be playing uh, on the stage when they come back, and uh, and uh, I wanted uh, Moxley to have a mystery partner. So when I go out there with Ice Z, we're on Long Island. It's perfect. It's a great return. First of all, Moxley comes out. And he he kicks over the drum set, you know. I mean, whether or not I could take D into taking one for the team, I don't know. But I want him to basically destroy the whole, you know, the grandiosity of the Foley return, and then announce his tag team partner, who is Punk. And Punk is still a huge babyface, but he could explain. Was he a babyface? Yes, yes, yeah, he was. And then he could explain that. What what happened? What happened to you, man? What happened to you? And that's where I get the the Johnny Cash Hurt song, you know, what have I become? And thinking back to who I used to be and who I have become, and now I have this one last chance to assert myself. And I know I can't have the type of matches that I think I can, but I've put together structurally in my mind a bunch of ideas from borrowing from the very first Memphis entrance, main event entrance I ever saw. I go in there for my first Mid-South Coliseum show on Monday night, summer of 1988. It's Jimmy Boogie Woogie Woogie Man Valiant and and Jerry Lawler against, uh, I can't remember the opponents, uh, but a couple of those well-known Memphis names. And Jimmy comes out on stage and he's boogieing and woogieing and all of a sudden... Jimmy's attacking the the heels from behind. It was a fake Jimmy Valiant. It was underneath Italian. Uh, Baxter was his last name. I, wow, that's good. That's really good. 
And so I wanted uh, an idea, I don't know if it was a stipulation or an idea, where, yes, Mick Foley is wrestling, but we don't know which character it's going I to see. be. So if you are going to present a character to battle John Moxley, Dean Ambrose at that time, you're probably not going to go with Dude Love. No. But Dude would be who we see. Oh, he's going to be duding up and everything, brother. There's a yeah. shirt. Hottest seller on. on the internet. Hashtag, he's duding up. Duding up. Duding up. And so you'd get kind of like a look of, you know, uh, Phil and uh, and and uh, Mox would be looking at each other. And then I would, I would have gotten approval from The Undertaker to come up from underneath the ring as old, scary, boiler room dwelling mankind. And now we could work this type. This would be uh, no. I think I'm segueing to what I saw in mind for our right. uh, for our uh, SummerSlam match. We I don't know how that match would have gone, but it would have led to SummerSlam, and it was for SummerSlam that I had all these different ideas going on, including that that elbow off the TV truck that I always wanted to do. You wanted to do it there. I wanted to. I wanted it set up so that I could actually leap. Come off the TV truck, which would have been set up in catering, so that I could actively be leaping over people who were dining to land on something. And my idea was always to have it be the hood of a car, so you could finagle the uh, the shock. So it, uh, and also that, just that dramatic low angle and low angle camera shot, so it would feel like I was sailing into your living room, like I had this match thought of, you know that. The same hole that I came out of would prove to me my undoing when there's a reversal into the corner and I end up stepping into the hole or disappearing down the hole and coming up with an injured left knee. So I I had this match in mind. We have put together the mis we put aside the misunderstanding. I'm looking for uh uh Moxley to really rock my world as far as uh you know him and punk getting me back in that frame of mind that I need to have to get in. And I'm looking at a realistic three-star match that could encompass a couple of great moments. Some great storytelling. So so that even if we can't produce the bell-to-bell classic, we can create a few moments within that storyline that will stick with people. So I am 100% in on... SummerSlam 2000. Moxley wrote this. Uh, this is great. Crisis averted. We were back on Dean Ambrose versus Mick Foley on a collision course for some kind of gimmick match, like a cage or something at SummerSlam. Sure, it would be a star making performance. I figured I'd be cutting promos and talking mad shit to the top guys on Raw and main event segments in no time. All I had to do was go get over. Give me a mic and get out of the way. I'll be the top heel by the end of the year, I figured. Then I got the call from Hunter, and it all went up in flames. They couldn't get Mick medically cleared. That was it. He was done. It was over. I was crushed. I don't know the details of Mick's evaluation, but I believe it was due to the history he had with concussions. Mick had tried. He suggested to the doctor, we could work an entire match around his leg and play it as safe as possible. It was not to be. I believe that feud would go down as one of the all-time what-could-have-been things, but looking at it now, I see differently than I did then. At the time, I assumed it would be Mick and I coming up with our own angle and cutting our own interviews and crafting our own stories. What happened? Uh, 
I uh, went to Pittsburgh, PA to take the impact test. Impact test is meant to give you a baseline that can be judged against after a head injury. So your baseline is supposed to be you at your best, and then they will compare that to where you registered after a head injury. And yet, while I'm taking the baseline, I'm aware that it's not going well. My short-term memory is almost non-existent. And so I realize they come back and they, they ask you to recall words that you've used, and I didn't know any of them. So I know enough about these tests to know, oh, and it resonates with me that I have done far worse damage to my head than I even realized. So in You the, didn't know until that moment? No. I mean... You put your head in the sand. He asked me... That was where he said, uh, how do you feel... He specifically asked me about being on a computer. And I was like, I get really bad headaches. And that's why my rain stuff had curtailed greatly. And also, I, I, no, longer, I no longer felt like I was equipped to handle these tough situations like I had been like my <sighs> decline had been pretty rapid and so what I did is independent of WWE I booked uh, another appointment with a neurologist Dr. Robert Cantu out of Massachusetts one of the top neurologists in the country uh, Chris Nowinski had recommended him and so uh, same situation with Dr. Cantu I should let you know that one of the biggest difficulties I had was in multitasking. Right. Everything felt overwhelming. Everything felt overwhelming. So, I, you know, I was always the guy paying my bills every month on time, and now I'm the guy just sweeping them to the side. Just, I can't deal with this right now. And I come to find out that Mike Webster, the great uh, Pittsburgh Steelers center, upon whom the beginning of the Will Smith movie Concussion is centered, that was the first sign that he was struggling as a guy who'd always paid his bills, always paid his taxes, was now years behind in his taxes, wasn't paying his bills. So I realized this is uh, uncharted territory for me. Yeah. Um, I meet with Dr. Cantu uh, one week. I come back two weeks later, and he looks me in the eye and he says, you should never wrestle again. Mm. And I look him in the eye and I said, I can work an entire match around my left knee. And I'm so proud of that. It's almost like if I can't have here lies Mr. In Your House, no one came through bigger when it mattered less on my epitaph than I want, I can work an entire match around my left knee because it showed me that doggone it, I was still one of the boys, sure they had one last match. And I'm in Dr. Cantu looked at me and he said, Mr. Foley, when we met two weeks ago, you struck me as a bright young man. It was his word, bright, a young. He goes, since then, I've been reading about you. You have a lot going on for you. And he looked me like really dead in the eye. He said, if you want to get another neurologist to clear you, that's your business. But I'm telling you, you should never wrestle again. And what that did... It was essentially a manager throwing in the towel. It was somebody taking the bat out of my hand. And I felt this enormous sense of relief. I really did. 
the truth is I had not enjoyed the comeback matches, even the ones that went really well. So nervous. Like, there should be nerves. And counterbalanced by the enjoyment and the rush, but it was almost all nerves and just a sense of relief when those matches were over. So I had not been enjoying them like I should have, even though some of them were really good. And the first person I called was Edge, because I knew Edge, and clearly things have changed. Edge is back in the well, ring. He had just gone through it. Yeah, he'd just gone through it, and we had a long talk while I was driving, and I like I was I was at peace with it. I, I was, I really was, and I'm so glad he had that talk with me. Can you share what he said? Well, what he said was. It, exactly what I said. If you feel like you can get another neurologist to clear you, it was the same determination was the same thing that the, um, um, his doctor said the same to him. Yes, it was the same. And then, so here's what happens. Literally a day, maybe two after I talked to Dr. Cantu, I get a call from, uh, it's no, it's not after the second meeting. It's a day or two after the first meeting. I get a call from John Laurinaitis who says, ah, Mick, it's Johnny. There's an issue with your impact test. So I did go back to that doctor as well who also told me I should never wrestle again. And so I'm thinking, that's it. This, it's not a knee. It's not a, You've seen I walk around better than I used to because I had my hip replaced, my knee replaced. There's no brain replacements. Like This is not something I wanted to toy around with. I had been... Man, I've been really fearful because I'd seen the deterioration. And uh, that's why uh, going out on the road and doing those one-man shows, before I really started getting a good audience, you know, once in a while I go to the UK and do really well. But at that point, people are still like, well, what does he do? Does he tell jokes? Like, uh, well, because it was marketed once one time as like the extreme comedy Yeah, tour. extreme comedy, and which was not what I was doing. And even when it was marketed as stand-up, that's kind of not it either. It's not it either. Now it's a storytelling show. If comedians want to call it comedy because storytelling, yeah, that's that's good. But it's so it's so difficult when you say you want to hear McFoley do stand up comedy. No, would you like to hear him tell funny stories throughout his career? Yeah. So you have to change the perspective. Yeah. And, but extreme comedy sounds like you're jackass. You're going to be stapling your sack yeah. through stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of what I do, I do some of that at home. Cactus uh, sack. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we know. We got the When I'm bored, I just take out the stapler that I got from Nick Gage and uh, just... Bang, bang. Just, yeah. Pizza cutter. We don't have to go into all of it. So, listen. By the way, may I tell you that Nick Gage did a cameo video for my children for Christmas Day, and it was magical. I told him, Nick, uh, don't. Are they ease members up. of the gang? Don't. No, they're not officially. Don't oh. ease up on the uh, f bombs because it's my kids, and uh, I will go through the archive so that magically we can see uh, photos of my children <laughs> dressed as Nick Gage. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to brag, but I'm a card carrying member of the MDK gang. Are you really? All fucking day. Can I be? Uh, I can get you in honorary. Yeah, I can get. Can you I in. show it like when I get stopped for they traffic? Send, <laughs> you get a black metal card. This is real. I'm not kidding. I'll make sure we, we, we make that happen. I know people. You know, science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature, where temperature-controlled sleep repairs our muscles after a hard day's work. And it improves cognitive function so you can always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Well, Sleep Me is the new home for Chili Sleep. They're still bringing you the same great sleep that Chili Sleep offered, but now under a new name. Sleep Me offers the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. 
They create the environment that meets your body's natural need for lower core temperatures. That's going to help promote deeper, more restorative sleep. It's really worked for me. I've had the Uller for a long, long time now, and I'm sleeping better than ever. In fact, I was worn out from my trip to Mexico this past weekend. When I came home, I slept 10 hours and 45 minutes. The Uller made it happen. They also make a cube and a Doc Pro sleep system. Either way, all three are water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. Think of it as like a smart thermostat for your bed. My wife and I like to sleep at different temperatures. She likes to sleep a little warmer. I like to sleep a little colder. We can do that in the same doggone bed. Don't think of this as a water bed. There's no water in your bed, but water does have these amazing thermal properties. They can heat that water up or cool that water down, depending on what temperature you want. And you can even control it with an app on your phone. My wife even schedules her sleep. Think about that. She climbs into a warm bed. It warms her up, right? But then she doesn't want to get all hot and sweaty. So it cools her off so she can get that deep sleep, but then it warms her up to wake her up. And it's all automatic. You see these mattress pads, keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep, chilly sleep. And now sleep me is designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Oh, and how about this new doc pro sleep system? It has two times, two times more cold power than the other models. It's whisper quiet. And it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. What are you waiting for y'all? Check it out. I love it. You will too. Head over right now to sleep.me forward slash Foley to learn more and save 25% off the new purchase of any new doc pro cube or Uller sleep system. Now this offer is available exclusively for Mick Foley listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep S L E E P dot me M E slash Foley to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Sleep.me forward slash Foley. Look, Hey, I'm going to look at the camera. This is a heavier show than I think we've done. Yeah. Um, but man, the those concussions are no joke. You see, I I honestly think I'm doing better than I was when, than when, uh, beyond the mat was, um, really mentally I do I think if you watch the movie even when I'm not calling Barry post uh post cell I I sense that I was starting to slur my words a little bit and I I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders in a way that I was not 10 years ago or even uh 20 years ago yeah do you um now, I can't remember a written promo. Right. And that's one of the reasons why if I do get a call for TV, I'm more likely to say no because I don't... I thought in 2012, the year we're covering, that I make a difference. Yeah. And I thought, honestly, I was one of the few returning guys who could make a difference or who wanted to make a difference uh, because that was my primary goal. If you're going to bring me back, I want to help out a storyline. I don't want to just get the pop. I don't want to just promote something I have coming up. I want to make a difference. And now it's, I can't, I'm going to tell them, I cannot, I cannot remember a storyline. And I don't want to just be a hanger on in the back on, uh, you know, old school day. Um, but as far as remembering, you know, as far as long-term memory, I think it's as strong as it's ever been. 
And I think uh, from a uh, speech perspective, burping. Per I didn't burp like this. No, but yeah. Black Adam's helping to get back to normal. <laughs> hey, so let's talk about the rest of 2012. Okay. You know, it's got to be a little disappointing because you did have this big idea yeah. that was easy for you to get excited about. And then you wind up doing like blast from the past SmackDown where you put the Socko on Jimmy Hart and yeah. Yeah. you're going to be rocking the suit and, and dropping some LBs and making some matches and doing a little stuff with Vicky Guerrero. And, um, it feels like there's parts of the year where for lack of a better word, you're just kind of going through the motions, going through the motions. And it was also obvious to me that, um, the company did not seem comfortable with me representing them as an ambassador in that I was not called on to do very much. And when I was, they would go to seemingly great lengths to make it look like I wasn't there. So uh, WrestleMania party with the uh, mayor of New Orleans, they show every one of the ambassadors in their commercial except me. And I knew, well, I, I just, uh, you know, I, yeah, I did know that Vince wasn't crazy about the way I dressed or the way I looked, and also he is a firm believer in the magic of wrestling. Yes. And taking people's minds off their problems. Mm -hmm. And when you put one of the old guys back on TV and he's clearly having a lot of trouble getting around. That's not good. That takes away from the magic. So fast forwarding a little bit, a couple of years, I, I called Vince and we hadn't talked in a long time and Kevin said I should give him a call. And I said, Vince, I said, nobody's ever told me this, but I have to feel that one of the reasons I'm so rarely on TV is because it's difficult to watch me get around. He didn't say no. He didn't say yes. And I said, I just want you to know I'm down 25 pounds with the goal of being down 80 by the holidays. And as soon as I heard him say, this was January, I think 2016, and he said, I'm going to hold you to that. And as soon as I heard him say, I'm going to hold you to that, you know. I felt like I could do it because I wanted to show him I could do it. And unfortunately, I don't have somebody that I want to show that to now, which is not an excuse. Yeah, it's kind of an excuse. But it was, uh, Motivation. A, yeah, it was a motivating factor for me there. But uh, very rarely was I on. Uh, was I on TV? Uh, they, they would have me go and do the pre- and post-shows once in a while. Well, you did some uh, fun stuff here with Heyman and Punk in September. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is when they started to try to turn Punk heel a little bit. Right. And they've aligned him uh, with Paul Heyman. And, of course, he's the devil. Right. Um, and, and there's some really fun back and forth. You're a strong promo. Punk's a strong promo. Heyman's a strong promo. Was that fun for you? Some of the other stuff felt like it was, it was going through yeah, the motions. It was a this. lot of fun. And so I'm kind of contradicting myself by saying I couldn't remember stuff. But yet I was doing these really good promos with Paul and Phil, but it's partially because they were help lifting me up and partially putting me in an atmosphere where I didn't have to recall, I had to feel. So I had the bullet points and I was playing off their energy and I was coming out with some of the stuff to me that was, you know, some of the best stuff I'd done in years to the point where when John Cena went down with an injury and Ryback was brought in to wrestle, Brother, if I hadn't failed that impact test, I could have slid right into that role. And I don't think that's—I I don't think that's out of line. No, I think that would have been a perfect spot. Now, what happens is, 
Um, they did a decent number on that, too. Ryback and Punk and yeah. in a Cell. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming, but they got some attention. It did, and Ryback, to his credit, Ryback was over for a while. He was on a roll. He right was on there. a roll as, as a take-no-prisoners babyface. Fade me more. The whole crowd was chanting. They loved yeah, it. they really did. Now, he didn't have another gear. Yeah. And then it remains to be seen. I thought the the big bully who was a coward at heart, I thought that may have had legs, and they Cut it, you know, cut it before. Are you surprised he's not doing anything in wrestling? I kind of thought for sure by now. I mean, I just had this talk with uh, my kids. I said, there are some people who make it a point to go back, if not reinvent themselves, then to improve themselves. It's almost like the Drew McIntyre blueprint. Yes, I am going to do some shows where I take advantage of, you know, the name I had, but I am going to improve myself, come back as a better Drew McIntyre, he he reached out to me. I don't know if I've told this story, and we've already praised Seamus, and yeah. uh, you know. But I think this deserves to be said that he uh, sent me a text, probably a direct message on Twitter. He goes, "I know we don't know each other that well, but your opinion means a lot to me. I'm trying something new. I just did this. I'm trying. I don't know if he used the word reinvent. And I watched his comeback to um, Insane Championship Wrestling." ICW, and the first thing I did was text Hunter, who I don't text too often, and I said, you need to take a look at Drew McIntyre. I said, I know he just left, but it's almost like he's a different human being. And that's the plan. And that, I think, shows how much someone really loves wrestling. And, I mean, I have no problem with a guy doing uh, supplements, Showing up, a couple autograph signings, but uh, you want to be that guy, Cody Rhodes, who vows to return because he didn't have the AEW thing waiting for him. Right. He went a couple of years uh, where he was in ROH. He was doing the. He uh, did all the indies. Did all the indies, and yeah. when I saw him outside in the summer, an outdoor minor league baseball show, wrestling show at a minor league stadium. And he, it's sweltering heat, and he's wearing that three-piece suit. And I said, is that what you wear all the time? He goes, every time. Yep. He had a way that he wanted people to see him. Yep. He had that list of people that he wanted to wrestle. And he went in and became a bigger star without WWE than he had been there. And so there are those guys who want to excel, want to improve, and then other guys who maybe just don't love it. Maybe they've fallen out of love with it because of the nature of the business. Do you think and... Ryback's fallen out of love? You know, I was under the impression that he had an injury and he was rehabbing because if you see him on social, it looks like he's gotten himself into better shape, maybe overcome a lot of injuries. Yeah. I don't know if it's a timing thing or if it's a personality thing or if he's not know. interested. But, man, what a great look. And clearly, I mean, I know people are going to listen to this who are anti-Ryback. Oh, sure. But go watch the 2012 uh, stuff. Yeah, he was the over. The dude was over. Brother, he was over. Yeah. He was over. It just feels like a guy with that look and that experience, man, he should be doing something. But maybe, I don't know, maybe he's picking his spots. I don't know. But Well, let me, so this time period, again, that's enough Ryback praising. So yeah, yeah, we don't yeah, go yeah. Forward. At this time where I think, oh, that would have been great. I could have jumped right into that role. Foley returns to Hell in a Cell. It's a storyline that makes sense. And so I'm getting ready to take uh, Noel and and Huey up to Santa's Village for their uh, spooktacular October weekend. And I think this coincides with the, the Superstorm Sandy. I believe it does. Uh, because we end up 
driving up out of out of the path of the storm and then flying to Atlanta where I was doing something with the pay-per-view and what happens is the the night before we're supposed to leave um I packed up the Foley uh the red Foley minivan the Chevy Venture I packed it up with boxes to take to a local shelter and I've got you know, blankets and clothes and sleeping bags and all those things and I'm at a stop sign and all of a sudden I get hit from behind and I kid you not, this is right up there with the, I can work an entire match around my left knee. As my head is going forward into the steering wheel, it wasn't enough impact to initiate the thing, but enough to whiplash me. As my head is going forward, my thought is, I should have done the match with Punk because I know I'm going to have a concussion. And I did. And I was so angry when I got out of there. The the woman telling me, oh, we just. Uh, her, it turns out she was on the phone with her husband, who was a police officer. They're texting, and she hits me and tried to say she tapped me. I said, "That's not a tap. Like that's not a tap." And I was just kind of angry because I knew that these concussions cost me weeks of being at my best. And I was supposed to go to a fundraiser that night in New York City. Instead, I gathered the kids and I said. Let's just go. Let's just go to uh, the White Mountains, which is about a seven-hour drive. Made it without even stopping. Had all the energy in the world. I was on a cloud. And it's that fight-or-flight reflex. It's that boost of adrenaline. And then when I crashed, oh, man, I crashed. And I called Chris Nowinski, and I asked him, is it, is it normal to get this incredible rush of energy? And that's where he told me about the fight-or-flight. And he goes, you're probably going to crash. And sure enough, I did. But that's where I was at that time, that when my head was going forward and bouncing off the uh, steering wheel, my first thought was, I should have done that match with Punk, because if I'm going to get a concussion... Might as well get paid for might it. Might as well get paid for it. Yeah. Well, the uh, the fun with Punk continues. Of course, there's a screwy finish, the whole Brad Maddox finish, and that effectively is the end of Ryback's Brad push. Maddox, underrated authority figure? Yeah, I mean, listen. No, I, absolutely not. I, I I did think he was so young. Yeah. Man, that guy, he's going to be able to do something. And another one of those guys just poof into yeah. the ether, gone. Yeah. Um, we start to set up a Survivor Series match. The original idea is supposed to be Team Punk versus Team Foley. Team Punk would be Punk, Alberto Del Rio, The Miz, Damian Sandow, and Cody Rhodes. Team Foley would be Ryback, Randy Orton, Kofi Kingston, Kane, and Daniel Bryan. Uh, and then eventually it starts to feel like that's going to change. Uh, I guess the authority decides that Team Punk versus Team Foley in a traditional Survivor Series elimination match might not do well on pay-per-view. Uh, do you remember hearing about yeah, this? I do. And I was supposed to be at TV. I end up getting a call from Mark Carano saying you're needed for TV. And I said, I'm sitting on a plane going to South Korea. Yeah. Because well, we need you to get off. I said, I'm doing a show for our troops. <laughs> Unpaid. This is a WWE show because I'm I'm also doing a, uh, a writer's convention in Singapore. And I had asked WWE years earlier. Roddy and I had gone together and said, we came up with this plan. We will go. We will travel for free 
on a cargo plane to perform and do these storytelling shows for our troops. And I, I don't know why it, it didn't happen. I, it feels like something I want to go back and approach them about. But right. you, So the only two times they took me up on it was when it coincided with trips I was already taking. So I got to do uh, uh, a show for the troops in South Korea. I got to do in, in Abu Dhabi as well. But I said, Mark, I said, I'm going to do a show for the troops. Like, I can't, I can't do it. So I did miss one. Um, but I do, so I do remember being asked about it. And I don't know if it would have done well or not. I am of the belief that no traditional Survivor Series match as a main event is going to do well. I think yeah. that's a secondary yeah, match. It is. Uh, but I think you need either a re- really well well promoted singles main event, uh, whether it's male or female. At that time, it would have been male because we didn't have the revolution yet. But I, I, I would just wonder the wisdom of having that match as a main event anyway. November 11th, or sorry, no, November 12th, Columbus. This is that Lawler segment. Uh, Punk's going to come out, interrupting Lawler, start ripping on him. And then Paul Heyman starts coughing and collapses, doing a, a fake heart attack. Punk is mockingly asking someone for help, and then he tells Lawler, try not to croak before the pay-per-view. What do you think of that, given what Lawler had just been through? How... how- how much earlier had he been through it? The year prior. Year prior. I, I, I you say it's fair? Yeah, especially if Jerry's okay with it, which yeah. I think he was. Yeah, I think it's fair. So we're starting to get towards uh, Survivor Series. They announced the voting re- results because we're going to try to see, you know, who the fans want to see. Um, They announced the voting results of who would be on Team Foley at Survivor Series and who would team with Kane. Miz gets 60%, Ryder gets 34%, Morella gets 6%. Eventually, of course, in the main event, uh, Cena is going to uh, beat Punk in a non-title match. So the streak continues, uh, but you've got this this backstage bit here where there's Team Foley in turmoil. Are you having fun with this Team Ziggler Versus Team Foley, as it winds up, Team Foley is Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan, Kane, Randy Orton, and The Miz. And Team Ziggler is Ziggler, Alberto Del Rio, Damian Sandow, David Otunga, and Wade Barrett. Is this going through the motions for you, or is this fun? Team Foley at Survivor Series. You get to I, use the Mr. Sacco. But I'm, I'm recalling a... Uh... Interview with Bob Costas, where he was talking with uh, who was the guy who played Curly in uh, the uh, <laughs> City Slickers movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. A great heel. Can we... I don't recall, but I know you're talking about Legend of Curly's Gold. Jack Palance. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, Bob Costas, Costas is recalling a uh, interview, the most painful interview we ever did, where he was talking about. Jack Palance and Shane, he's the embodiment of evil. What was going through your mind? And he says, Jack Palance goes, to tell you the truth, I don't remember a damn thing about it. (laughs) So that's you in this Survivor Series. Yeah, you see, some of the memories I have are so vivid, but that's because we we can only, our brain can only handle and recall the things that either went really well or really really poor. So this is an indication that it was there, uh, vanilla. It was okay. Uh, so I don't I don't have any recollection what, whatsoever.
Hey guys, listen up. I know these days when you watch the news, it feels like it's one hit after another and it's all bad news for the economy. Well, let me give you some good news. It's not all that bad when it comes to real estate. Let me explain. You see a year ago, man, real estate was hot, hot, hot. Everybody and their brother was trying to go out and buy another house. What did that mean? It was so competitive that a lot of folks got discouraged. So let me ask you, have you thought about buying a house in the last couple of years, but maybe just couldn't win a bid. I used to hear that all the time. Well, now is the time to buy. Yes. Interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but what that's created is an opportunity for you. A year ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be more than a dozen offers on a home, many of which were over list. That is not the case today. So if you got discouraged once before about trying to buy a new house, now's the time to take another look. Now, yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but you're not going to overpay for the home, but here's what you will do. You'll stop throwing your money away on rent and now you'll get a greater tax deduction. That's right. You see, at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement from your mortgage company that shows how much interest you paid and you get to write all of that interest off. That means you could get a huge tax deduction. You never get that as a renter. Not only that homes are still going up in value. Don't believe the hype. All of the economists believe long-term real estate always works out. Let me give you an example. Maybe way back when in the housing collapse of 2008, you bought in 2007 and maybe overpaid. Buddy, if you hung in there, that house is worth a whole heck of a lot more now. If you've played in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You only lose money when you throw in the towel. Real estate long-term always performs well. So here's my advice to you. Date the rate, marry the house. Find the house that you and your family love long-term because here's what's not long-term these higher rates. I've yet to see a single economist who doesn't agree with me that rates are going to return. So doesn't it make sense to get the house you want right now? And then when rates improve, man, just get a lower monthly payment. In the meantime, you'll enjoy a greater tax deduction and that property is going to continue to appreciate, meaning you're building equity and wealth for yourself. Not only that, how about this? We're going to save you some cash at buywithconrad.com. We're going to give you the peace of mind of a seven-year guarantee. When rates improve over the next seven years, not if, but when, that's my prediction, we'll refinance you again with no new origination points. Think about that. That could save you thousands of dollars and give you the peace of mind of knowing that you got the right house for your family right now. And then when the rates improve, man, get a lower monthly payment. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to hurry to buywithconrad.com. That's the first step. You tell us how much you want to put down and what you want your monthly payment to be. We get you approved, and then you go shopping just like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you've thought about buying a house over the last couple of years, but you got discouraged, now's the time to take another look. Let me run the numbers for you right now. You'll be glad you did at buywithconrad.com. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Woo Wings, legendary flavors, world championship wings. Woo! Woo Wings. Yeah. Woo-woo.
Here we are. We're finally here. One of your favorite moments. Foley portrays Santa Claus on the December 24th pre-taped edition of Monday Night Raw. Foley as Santa is run over by Alberto De Rio. Because again, if you can't get cleared to wrestle a match, why don't we just hit that dude with a car? Uh, he manages to recover later in the night and help Cena <laughs> defeat Del Rio in a miracle on 34th street match street fight match. This is interesting to say the least. I got to hear the story. Of course See, you had been in by a the, real By car. the tone of your voice. Interesting. And by my laughing, I'm guessing that the two of us were, are not going to agree on the joy it created. I loved it. Okay. But I'm just curious if this is a guy who he's almost on the do not touch list. Yeah. We're not maybe using that phrase yet. But then somehow we're going to green light creative for a stunt. Uh, reason being, um, I had a beautiful new Santa suit made for me um, by the fine people in uh, Philadelphia, yeah. Planet Santa people, uh, made it handmade there's none other like it cost thirty five hundred dollars to create i wore it in the filming of i am santa claus and i basically uh did not want uh tyrus wearing my suit to take that hit you know like that's gonna you know it's gonna be sweating in my suit plus he's got gigantic feet uh and i had brought two left feet i brought two left foot santa boots neither one of which is gonna fit uh tyrus who was known at the time as uh Funkasaurus? Uh, yeah, Funkasaurus. Yeah, Brodus Clyde. And so when Hunter was said, ah, we need to find somebody who can take that, and I was like, I can do that? So I talked Hunter into saying that I was just fine with being run over by a car. The truth is, I'm going to walk into a parked car. Right. And through Miracle of Sound Effects, which, brother... When it came to life, when it showed, it looked like I was run over by a car. It looked legit. Ask the lady who tapped you in the real car. <laughs> right? Here, here's that same guy a few months later signing up to get ran signing over. Signing up to get run over. And to my credit, I did a lot of damage to that car. I mean, dented it big time. If you can walk into a parked car, I did it about as well as you could and used the same philosophy that used to propel me over those ring steps when I was shot in. It's like... I need to hit this where I'm walking, but I'm going to hit it as as solidly as I can in the upper thigh so that it will propel me over over the roof. And I I put did uh, considerable damage to that BMW. You could feel the crowd groan when they saw me walk into a parked car, but yet then on TV. On TV but even in a live situation, I walk in, and I, even though I take the nice tumble, you can feel the groan until a Christmas tree tips over on top of me, does lacerate me just slightly. I wasn't busted open. I'm not wearing a crimson mask by any, um, by any account. But I think the crowd all simultaneously realized this is the one place in the world where you can see santa run over by a vehicle and that's where they got into it and they started chanting you killed santa and this is where uh del rio was very good but ricardo was out of this world yeah. to this day i maintain there is an empty spot on his mantle where an emmy award should be uh i believe they wanted del rio to play it like he was upset about the damage to his car 
but he didn't, which I think worked because Del Rio was concerned. He just ran over a human, a human or mythical. It was still some. He ran over somebody. Yeah. And Ricardo was just beside himself to the point where he was almost dry heaving. <laughs> he was just mourning the loss of Santa to the point where when he inter- when he introduces Del Rio. He just, he's supposed to say, Alberto Del Rio, and instead he just grabs the mic and goes, Santa. <laughs> just great. Just great. And I don't usually remember other people's promos word for word. It's it's very unusual for me to remember my own promo word for word. But I'm sitting in the uh, the trainer's office, and I'm wondering what I've just done, because I take my Santa stuff seriously. And I'll give you, once we talk about this, I'll tell you how I got the gig, which I think is a fun and interesting story. But I'm thinking, I didn't, I didn't get into this to, like, hurt children or right. make them cry or fear the loss of Santa. You know, it was just that I had this opportunity to do this thing on Raw, and I couldn't turn it down. And then I hear Booker's promo, and he's got, outside, he's got the whole locker room gathered around him. He goes, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Santa's down, and it don't look good. But before Santa lost consciousness, he said to his last words to me were, and the last words were not, make sure the toys get delivered, don't disappoint the children of the world. His last words to me were, Alberto Del Rio will be in a fight tonight. (laughs) A miracle on 34th Street Fight match. And now this is where Del Rio comes up and he goes, <laughs> like, I did not mean to hit Santa Claus. You know, like, but technically everyone knows where I drive my car. So this was not my fault. And then Cena comes in. I think he overacted to assure the children of the world that they should not Santa's take this okay. seriously. And he goes, let's do it. He goes, St. Nicholas is a saint, which is a case of overstating the obvious, right? And then he pumps a forearm that Popeye the Sailor Man would have been envious of. And he goes, for Santa. And the crowd starts chanting. And the the uh, locker room starts chanting Santa. And I think to myself, it's going to be okay. Going to be okay. And then uh, Matt Stryker comes in. And uh, he reports the sad news that Santa has passed. And then we hear the heart monitor, not just beeping, but playing jingle bells. And Santa comes he comes roaring back to life. Roar. Spirit of 76. <laughs> you know, you said in there, not a lot of human... I was really proud of the fact that I could do so much damage to a parked car. <laughs> and I wondered to myself, how would one put that skill set on a resume? Like, where else would that unique <laughs> skill be able to be monetized Except for professional wrestling. <laughs> One of a kind. So how did you get this gig? The gig is, uh, for those who haven't seen uh, I Am Santa Claus, it's a great Christmas movie. And there's a lot of joy in it. Part of the reason there's joy is because uh, we, Tommy Avalone, the director, he makes us care about the five gentlemen he follows throughout the year. And they do go through trials and tribulations. All of them waiting until that moment where they get to be that guy again. It really, I mean, it's not that different from what we do in wrestling. It's a lot, but there's similarities in that you live for those moments. 
So I think that's one of the things the movie does. It says it's not something someone resorts to, like they're on their last, you know, shows that I love, like uh, the 1960 version of uh, Twilight Zone with Art Carney as, as a down-on-his-luck department store Santa, but he looks ridiculous. Right. As much as I love Elf, there's no way you're going to have a Santa who smells like beef and cheese showing up at a high-end department store and you're not going to have a drunk Santa leading the parade for right. Coles, a.k.a. Macy's. These are going to be the top of the, you know, the, the, you would have uh, Coles is uh, the store in uh, uh, in Elf is akin to Macy's. You're going to have the top guys in the business doing that. The guy who uh, who leads the Macy's parade is almost like the grand poobah of Santa's. Uh, the other guys are almost going to genuflect to him. But other than that. Um, the, uh, uh, I just lost my train of thought here. Okay. I know what it is. I, I, Tommy's, Tommy's movie, mm -hmm. the last 30 minutes, especially showed the joy that these people bring. And it's really uplifting. So once or twice a year, I'll just watch the last 32 minutes, including the late night visit on Christmas Eve from the real Santa to my son, which is nothing short of magical. And in filming that movie, like uh, December 4th, 5th or 6th, somewhere around there, I get to be in Santa's chair at Santa's Village with Huey as my elf. And it's two of the best hours of my life. It's just, ah, oh, you know, the first time I took a look at that child and I see the magic of Christmas reflected in his eyes, I get this feeling of, I'm going to need to do this more. I'm going to have to do this a lot more. Uh, and in some ways, it allows me to have those amazing moments without, without wrestling. Without wrestling. And now, to my wife's credit, she was an hour and a half late checking out. I'm sitting in my car. I have told her it's imperative to get an early start, so we don't we're not driving through the mountains at dusk, which is when the moose come out. You know. So now I'm fearing for our lives. <laughs> but a, a call to my wife telling her to hurry up is. Futile. Not yeah, futile yeah. So I take time to send Stephanie McMahon a a text message. I realize I'm just going to put this out there once. I'm not going to bother people. I'm going to dangle it out there and see what happens. And I send Stephanie a message, and it says "Ho ho ho" from Jolly uh, Saint Mick, and she responds back and goes, "Is this you? You look incredible." <coughs> and I said, "Hey, would you like me to be on the tribute for the troop show?" That's where it started. Wow. It was just one text to Stephanie. And next thing I know, I go from visiting with 30 children at Santa's Village over the course of two hours um, to being in front of thousands of people. And that's another story for another day, how I learned the lesson about it not being the number of people, making the most uh, significant impression on somebody, yeah. creating a special moment for one or two people as opposed to being out there waving in front of thousands. But that's another time story for another day. Well, today was the story of your return to WWE and your experience in 11 and 12. Uh, before we uh, go to the most fun part of our show, which is definitely not a plug, <laughs> where we uh, have a little fun on Cameo, I feel like we should acknowledge that um, something pretty major happened to a friend of ours. Unfortunately, uh, Kevin Nash lost his son a week ago. And it's an unimaginable, I mean, we've talked, you've talked so lovingly about 
how important, how special your kids are and what a big part and the best part of your life they are. And obviously he had a great relationship with his son and he passed away at just 26 years old. I don't really have the words, but, uh, you're the wordsmith of our little outfit. So, uh, I just wanted to give you at least an opportunity to acknowledge what a great tragedy a, a guy we think a lot of is going through right now. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, our hearts break for Kevin. I think all of us are uh, praying for him and his family that there'll be, uh, it's, it sounds cliche to say, I hope the memories uh, you have will be a source of comfort yeah. during these trying times. But it's true. Like, that's what you have. You know, your photographs and memories, as Jim Croce sang. And his son, Tristan, was uh, 26. Noel's 28. We grew up, you know, Kevin and I, as as the children grew, the stories that we had. I mean, I remember getting a hold of Kevin. We both lived in the uh, Daytona area. He was uh, about 40 minutes away from me. I was like, let's get the boys together to jam. Let's do it. And then it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I just had a nice uh, dinner. Kevin treated, nice steakhouse when we were in uh, um, Niagara Falls. You know, it's funny is uh, I put out a uh, a video <laughs> before Kevin's induction, uh, volunteering my services as the induct- inductor. And it wasn't so ludicrous that it couldn't happen. He's on his list of best friends of the business. I might come in like 10 to 12, you know, like he clearly had his crew of guys. But Kevin and I have been good friends for a long time. We were just talking about the light bulb moment he had um, when he saw Jake yeah, um, and decided if Jake could do it, so could he. And Kevin's a, he's a really good guy going through uh, a period of time that I wouldn't I wouldn't wish on anyone. Right. Uh, let alone such a, a great guy who loved his son so much. So I do hope that these memories that Kevin has of Tristan will, will be that source of comfort. Um, I know Kevin appreciated the support. You know, I reached out to him as soon as I heard. And it's just... I, I learned along the way from dealing... Not dealing with, but from getting to know families... Um, who had children who were going through those really difficult times, some of whom would live and some who would not. I learned from the parents not to say God has a plan or he's in a better place. And I would tell my wife when she would write a card, said, they don't say that. Please don't say that. Parents don't agree with you most of the time. Because uh, I wrote a, a, a short chapter, but in a chapter nonetheless called Marcos, about a young man who really made a quite an impression on me. And this is this, this was the tale I told you about how we brought him to WWE. Um, I think it was Raw, Penn State. And although I didn't know Batista too well, uh, Marcos said, "Oh, I'd like to, I'd like to be in the." He just looked at the ring. He goes, "I wish I could be in the ring." And Randy Orton looked at Batista without even saying a word and Batista nodded his head and he leaned over and he picked up Marcos on his shoulder like it was nothing and then he stepped up the, the ring steps he put him in the ring and that young man he just he just stood there and he had he had the belt that we'd given him and the hat all the stuff he was wearing was the stuff that we'd given him and it was one of the best moments of his life he died three days three days later and when I went to his funeral, his mother said, 
I know they mean well, but don't tell me my son's in a better place. My son should be with me. And I'll never forget that. And I always said, don't tell people that he's in a better, just express your sorrow. sorrow. And so I just, I can't, I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine. Um, so my heart goes out to Kevin. And his lovely wife. And his lovely wife, Tamara. And I'm uh, just so sorry for the loss of uh, a child. Just uh, heart. With that in mind, I don't feel right about doing a cameo right now. So, well, you know what? We'll start the show next week. With next week we'll start it. We'll start the show. Yeah. Oh, I will. So, you know what? Let, so, what, in the end, so when, you know, it is a, when someone loses a son, it's a downer. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to pretend that you can just, uh, you know, be like the evening news and go from a sad story and then right away. Yuck, hey, yuck. hey, yeah. yeah. I don't feel like yucking it up after talking about Kevin's son, but I will go back to what I was talking about. Um, where I talked about learning a lesson as Santa, and that is I went from thinking being Santa was about the number of people who saw you live on right. TV to realizing it was about creating individual moments. Um, and that goes back into what I was saying uh, several episodes about never letting anyone else dictate to you or define for you what being a success is. So... There are guys who yearn to be part of this business, talented, have seemingly have what it takes, who don't make it, and then they feel like their career has been a failure. Leon White, to his dying day, felt like his career had been a failure because he wasn't inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Learn to appreciate those things that you did on the journey. You know, Learn to appreciate the journey and not the destination. I have said that one of the biggest... Uh, challenges we face in wrestling is to be striving to reach for that brass ring while also taking a moment to stop and smell the roses along the way. It's really difficult. Most of us don't do it well, but in wrestling and in life, I think we have to appreciate the good times we have and realize that uh, you don't need to be a star uh, to make an impact. That's right. and, And hopefully leave the world a slightly better place. For mankind and we hope that we've done that for you guys today we hope that uh, you'll throw us the like button if you dig it please hit the subscribe button if you think we've earned it leave us a five-star rating and ask us questions about anything you'd like uh, we're fielding your questions all the time here you can follow the show on twitter at foley is pod uh, until next time he is at real mick foley i am at hey hey it's conrad and you can catch us or introduce our show to the wrestling fan in your life on our youtube which is youtube.com forward slash Folius Pod, and we'll be back next week. We'll start with a little fun, and then we'll finish by talking about the 25-year anniversary of the Montreal Screwjob. Ooh, nice. Right here on Folius Pod. <laughs>